Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Suntress here, a great double feature for you today with two distinct creators who are making creator-owned comics their own way. First, Ryan Brown is back with a new volume of God Hates Astronauts. The first volume was a massive Kickstarter success, and Ryan dipped his toe for a while in the Image Comics world. He's decided to leave Image and do his new volume using Kickstarter once again. He explains why he's made this choice and what Kickstarter looks like today compared to his first campaigns. His new volume... 3D Cowboys 2D Spectacular is drawn by an all-star group of guest artists. Of course, we also discuss his current image collaboration with Charles Soule, Curse Words, their crazy promotional tour they took last summer for the book, and also a new collaboration with Steve Seeley and Jim Terry called Trash Bridge that he's currently hand-selling at conventions. Then we catch up with Howard Jakin, who's been making his style of creator-owned comics for decades. His divided states of hysteria lived up to its name with a flurry of critiques that frowned on his combination of exploitive, smutty crime fiction action. Other Chaykin fans like myself felt the series, like American Flag, Black Kiss, The Shadow, and other Chaykin classics, was another high-octane ride filled with bizarre characters who are not meant to be heroes and villains in the traditional sense. We discuss today's comic book environment and how he's dealing with it. We also discuss his wickedly awesome take on today's celebrity culture in the social media landscape with The Rough and Ready Show, a twisted Hanna-Barbera reboot where the 50s characters try to make a comeback and face the real-world media circus at its exploitive worst. He also has a new project in the work at Image called Hey Kids Comics, which he describes as the Mad Men look at the comic book industry's history. The names have been changed to protect the guilty. That's all coming up on today's Word Balloon, where it's brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Thank you very much, League, for your continued support through Patreon. Uh, It helps me out uh, updating equipment, getting to conventions, and hopefully giving you entertaining content every month here at WordBalloon.com. If you like the show and would like to subscribe to Word Balloon, Word Balloon is free. It'll always be free. But if you want to help out the cause, you can go to WordBalloon.com, click on the Patreon ad, or go directly to Patreon.com slash Word Balloon. Do you think Word Balloon's the, uh, worth the price of a comic each month? I kind of think so. I think you get a lot of good content here and uh, get inside the minds of creators who uh, explain their creative process and what they think about uh, what they're doing and uh, the comic book world as it stands today or back in the day as well. So if you want to help out, you can go to WordBalloon.com, click on the Patreon ad, or again, go to Patreon.com slash WordBalloon. Thank you for your support, League of Word Balloon listeners. Word Balloon is brought to you today by Comics Experience. Word Balloon is also brought to you by Comics Experience, the world's most respected online comic book university. They are about to have a master seminar with Georgia Lee, the writer on all three seasons of Sci-Fi The Expanse. She is going to be doing Georgia Lee Writing for Television. This event is online. It will be held live Saturday, May 12th. Georgia will peel back the curtain on what it's like to work in a television show writer's room based on her experience working on The Expanse. You can enroll online at comicsexperience.com, and uh, that's just the tip of the iceberg. There are tons of screenwriting and animation courses there on the website. Don't forget to sign up for their newsletter as well when you stop by the website. 
Details are at comicsexperience.com. The Master Seminar with Georgia Lee Writing for Television event is online and will be held live. If you can't attend live, you'll be provided a recording if you're registered beforehand. This is a one-time-only event. It'll be held on Saturday, May 12th. These are lectures in the Robert McKee kind of story fashion, but there is interaction. It is several hours, and you are really locking in for an incredible one-day seminar where you get you know, a first-hand experience with a creator that will give you the tips that you need to know as far as uh, getting started on your writing career. Georgia Lee, my God, The Expanse is really one of the great kind of under-the-radar shows that Sci-Fi Channel has been doing. The event will be held on Saturday, May 12th. Also, check out all the Comics Experience screenwriting and animation courses they have on the website. Don't forget to sign up for their newsletter when you stop by the website, and you can follow Comics Experience at Twitter at ComicExperience.com. Singular on that Twitter handle of at ComicExperience. But also you can like their Facebook page as well. Comics Experience, the world's most respected online comic book university with a great one-chance seminar with Georgia Lee talking about television writing. You won't want to miss this master seminar. All right, let's get things started and open things up with Ryan Brown and a great conversation about curse words, God hates astronauts, and a few other things that he's got in the hamper. Uh, A great perspective on if you're uh, planning to uh, hit Kickstarter, uh, what it's like today uh, compared to the boom that Kickstarter has been for comics since uh, its inception. Have things changed? Ryan Brown thinks so. Well, let's pick up our conversation now on today's Word Balloon. Ryan Brown, always happy to have you back on Word Balloon because you uh, always come, no, no pressure, but with words of wisdom. It's a, it's a pleasure. Welcome. <laughs> That's a lot of pressure, but uh, I, I accept the challenge. Attaboy. Thanks for having me, man. Absolutely, man. Curse words, uh, curse words cruising along. Issue 13 this week? Yeah, 13 just came out on Wednesday. Uh, 14 is getting colored as we speak, and I'm just about to start on 15. So keeping a little bit ahead. Um, Hasn't been late yet, knock on wood. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's, it's doing well. People seem to be following along, and it's it's fun. Tell me about the tour. I I don't know if we, in the last talk, got much about uh, the bus tour that you and Charles did last, last summer or two summers ago? It was last summer. Yeah. Uh, we did 15 stores. We rented a cargo van, and then I designed a vinyl wrap, Chris themed vinyl wrap for the van <laughs> that I threw on there. And, you know, you couldn't see out any of the windows because they're all covered in, in uh, <laughs> vinyl window perf, you know. Um, but we did uh, almost 6,000 miles. We went straight down from Chicago all the way to Texas and then down and around the coast all the way up to New Hampshire and then back over to Chicago to end it. Um, so it was 30 days and, yeah, it was wild. It was a wild, wild thing. And it was sponsored by the stores, so the stores uh, like were very well attended. Was, the stores really went in on this thing, which was awesome. And we wore like wizard costumes and drove around in the parking lot blasting music and hawking the horn and you know had uh, koala masks for people to wear and we <laughs> we we did it up as best we could. We had you know tour short shirts and a tour exclusive hardcover. It was it was really really wild. Um, it was great great fun and uh, I will will never do it again. <laughs> yeah, I can appreciate that. That's honestly that's intense. 
30 days, 15 cities. I mean, yeah. and constantly we, we, moving, man. I, I don't oh, know. Yeah. I, I, it would have killed me. I'm sure it would have killed me. <laughs> yeah. we. I mean, the worst part about it was, I mean, really the only real bad part about it was that we had to create, keep working. So yes. um, when Charles was driving, I was drawing. And when I was driving, he was writing. And then we'd roll into town. We'd usually get dinner at the hotel and then we'd work in our room until we'd go to bed and then we'd wake up, do a signing, work in the hotel room till they kicked us out for checkout. We'd do a signing and then we'd hop in the van and we'd drive between three and eight hours to the next stop, check in the hotel, get dinner there and then uh, work in the hotel. So um, I actually drew an entire, all of issues, I think seven, maybe it's issue eight, issue eight of curse words. I drew entirely on the road in, in various coffee shops and hotels and, uh, in a van. In the van. So that, that was the thing that made it so strenuous. It was, it was like a band touring while recording an album at the same time. Yeah, man. Yeah, no, I, um, I always, uh, remember this one trip back, I want to say from San Diego when, uh, Norton and uh, Seely and I were on the same plane and in the same rows, and I was mm-hmm. watching Norton draw the power of Shazam on his Cintiq on the plane, and I was shocked. Oh, really? Yeah, and that was impressive. But then in a van where it's a hell of a lot more bumpier, I can't imagine how for, you know you you got much done while you guys were driving. I'm sure this you know stylus was bouncing all over the place while you were trying to draw. Yeah, well, I you know I still do everything traditionally. So oh my god. Um, you know the the drawing it was i would only pencil obviously in the van um and i wouldn't have many like big details that i'd be able to like lock in so yeah so very loose pencils i guess it was very loose pencils and so then i would you know over the course of like five hours of drawing in a van i would (laughs) touch you know three or four different pages with blocking out shapes or yeah you know, refining the figure work and stuff, and then anything like detail work or getting faces right would happen when I was sitting in a coffee shop or in the hotel. Sure. Uh, you know, later on. So. Jeez. So, yeah, it was it was wild, man. I'm, it's making me tired just talking about it. <laughs> Honestly, man. Yeah, I can't imagine. I really can't imagine. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's a, a little easier for Charles, but also again, that pressure of getting to the next door and getting to the next signing and everything. No, that's amazing. Did you guys take video? Yeah. Oh yeah. We did. Um, we had like a Facebook page for the tour and we would take little videos on the road, um, like Facebook live stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That we would broadcast out and, um, I do remember that, a, that. Yeah. That was a fun way to, uh, like connect with people. But for the most part, the stores, the stores really promoted this stuff really, really well for us. That's cool. Um, so there were lines for us outside. People were excited. And, um, yeah, I don't know. Like it, it really worked. Most, most, you know, most creators would tell you the in-store signings are kind of a roll of the dice. Um, cause you sure. never know who's going to show up and how well the store was able to actually, you know, cultivate an audience for your book. But uh, for this, it was really uh, it was really something. Well, I would imagine too that between God Hates Astronauts and then Charles's image books as well, like uh, Twenty Seven and uh, even uh, the Oni uh, series Letter Forty Four, that you mm-hmm. guys have cultivated a list of stores. I mean, I know like Challengers and 
uh, oh yeah, comics or guys that have backed you on all on all your stuff, and certainly I'm sure Charles's stuff as well. So mm-hmm. you've got stores that kind of get it and have that all built-in readership culture that will welcome you and everything. I'm sure that was the case. Or were there some new stores as well on the tour? Yeah, there were stores that I'd never heard of um, that were, you know, like honestly, everything worked out really, really well. Um, but there was there was smaller stores and larger stores and um, like Jetpack Comics in New Hampshire, which I'd never heard of, and they they went in really big and promoted it really big, and um, you know, it was there was two stores in Texas that we did Red Pegasus, which was awesome. Um, and uh, Space Cadets Collection Collection, which were uh, both two of our biggest stops and super, super fun. And I didn't really have any connection with the people that worked in those stores or ran those stores before, but now um, now we had like this pretty great experience with them. That's I, awesome. also, I also learned that having stuff in a hot van in Texas during <laughs> the summer, uh, it melted everything that we had in the van. Wow. Um, like, we... I left some snacks in there that uh, that completely melted, and then uh, I had some toys that I had bought along the way at various comic shops that all are warped wow. because they were in the, they were in the hot van. Yeah, it's wild. That that kind of fits the both the curse words and uh, God hates astronauts motif. I bet sure. I, I bet yeah. they might have they might have turned into inspirations for for future characters in, uh, yeah. in warped in, in toys. Both. Yeah, man. Come on, what like you know that would be great. That'd be excellent. That'd be very psychedelic to have like a smushed Captain America or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much stuff like that. Right, right, right. Yeah, and I, I had board games, expensive board games that I bought. The, oh. the, the pieces don't stand anymore. Oh, you know, so they just kind of like lay on their sides. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Are you a board gamer? I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh yeah, big time. That's cool. That's excellent. <laughs> What are, what, what, what are you playing lately? Um, well, I just I, – I don't really have the time. Uh, the stuff that I've been playing recently is uh, more social games like uh, Secret Hitler. I really enjoy a lot. Tell me about Secret Hitler, please. Uh, it's, it's a werewolf-style game, which is like a hidden identity social game. So there's like a, a base mechanic that gets the game moving forward and uh, – but basically, there are good guys and bad guys, and you're trying to figure out who is who. And the bad guys know who everyone is, and the good guys don't know anything. So um, it's like a social game where you, the bad guys try and push their evil agendas without being found out. Um, and so those are really, really fun. There's It's a whole genre now of games. Secret Hitler is just one of them. Interesting. They're, they're usually referred to as werewolf-style games. And some of them you don't even need any pieces to play. Others, you know, you can you can buy the game. But th- but those those are really really fun because they're they're pretty solid hangouts, and you can play them with people that aren't really into heavy understanding and remembering of rules. You know, when you when sure. you play a game, yeah. Um, yeah, that's been fun. That's interesting. No, I had no idea. Now, of course, Ryan, uh, you might not know is I might not have said it in the intro is uh, broadcasting from uh, Four Star Studio, I'm assuming, in uh, Chicago. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. So that's where uh, Norton, Seeley, um, Jim Terry, Sean Dove are, are all there as well, you know, creating. I don't know who's there today. 
Yep, I, yep, they're here today. Oh, yeah. okay. I didn't know. I know uh, Celia. I heard is going to Daytona. I think for a yeah, Daytona he's he's not in today. Yeah, he's okay. in a he's at a con somewhere. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Very cool. We'll say hi to the boys eventually. I will. I will. Very nice. Um, well, you know, and I I, I mentioned uh, God hates astronauts. You're in the midst of a Kickstarter campaign. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I wanted to um, get back to doing more God hates astronauts stuff. You know, it was. It was an image comic for a while as a monthly book, and the grind was just too much to do everything on a comic. Um, and trying to keep the sales up and trying to keep people energized and exciting, excited about it. So after doing 10 issues of that, um, it really I was really pretty burned out on it, so I, I stopped. And people constantly asked me when it would be coming back. Um, and I've been working obviously full time on curse words for uh, a year and a half now. So, uh, so with the new God hates astronauts, uh, it's all stuff that I wrote and, uh, it's like an anthology book. So I have other artists drawing the bulk of it and I draw like the bookends of the story, like the framework. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and yeah, so it's on Kickstarter right now and, uh, you know, which is where I was originally publishing God Hates Astronauts stuff. Absolutely. Um, so it's like a, di- you know, it's a different way of doing it than working with a publisher. There's, there's, um, you know, there's pros and cons with both, both formats of, of putting out your work. But, um, I know that I have a pretty dedicated fan base that exists in the Kickstarter world. So I wanted to go back to that where I could, you know, make m- the book, uh, but add in a lot of weird, strange add-ons that I knew my fans would react to. So it's been a, a very fun, like it's a very different experience trying to promote that to promoting a book that someone could say pre-order in a diamond catalog. You know? Yeah. Well, I and I'm I first of all I I'm looking at the uh, teaser that you have in Curse Words, uh, the recent issue thirteen, mm-hmm. and it's uh, yourself, Paulo Rivera, James Herron, Chris Burnham. Joe Quinones, uh, Andy McDonald, Xander Cannon, Ryan Lee, Greg Smallwood, uh, Rob Gilroy, Buster Moody, and Robert Wilson the Fourth. Yeah, it's pretty, crazy. Pretty cool, yeah, the art. I mean, everyone I asked said yes, which I was really shocked by. Um, you know, and just to have that incredible the art that's been coming in has been so much better than I ever would have thought it would have been, <laughs> especially with something like this where it's like. You know, just a one-off, like, four- or five-pager. You never know how much it's going to be, you know, like, feel like an obligation for the artist rather than something they're really into, you know, because yes. it's such a short, small thing. Sure. And everyone turned in excellent work, like, super, super great. You know, there's there there was no phoning it in from anyone, which is incredible. And, uh, like, I don't know, I feel I feel pretty lucky that this book looks as, as good as, as it does. Yeah, man, these are top artists, and I'm glad to hear that they brought their A game for you because that's that's amazing, man. Well, and as you say, you, you did the you did the image issues. I'm sure that your Kickstarter followers bought all 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 those issues as well. Did you, as that was going on, um, still maintain contact with your Kickstarter audience? Because I know that talking to yourself and other Kickstarter people, there really seems to be a separate community of Kickstarter comic followers versus the Wednesday Warriors. And I'm sure there's some overlap, but but 
I don't know. People like Paul Jenkins and I think Palmiati and people like that have told me that no, really, there it is a separate community. It is, and I'm not sure how much people followed me from Kickstarter to Image. Um, there's certainly a ton of people who did, um, but you know that's why a lot of the really successful comics on Kickstarter have been web comics first, mm-hmm. and so you have this audience that is used to getting their comics digitally. Um, which is a little different than the people that, that go into stores. Sure. Um, so yeah, just trying to figure out exactly what that audience is and how to get them to go from one thing to the next. Like, I don't know how many of my readers on curse words are people that, that backed my God hates astronauts Kickstarter back in the day, or how many people, those people would go and find a book from me a different way. Um, I think the model in general of Kickstarter is, is, like the best for creators in terms of making money, making the book exactly the way they want. Um, since it is much more of a, an actual direct market. Um, and some people aren't into that, you know, like that's the, one of the weird things in doing a Kickstarter. There are some people that think that doing a Kickstarter is a charity or that it is not, um, that it, that it's just not yeah real comics or whatever or real yeah publishing that's not like a real initiative. thing but yeah, you know there's yeah. there there's of course like there's risk there's more risk if you are backing a Kickstarter rather than pre-ordering a book through through you know Diamond yeah um, sure and that you know there the, the accountability is very different and like and I and I totally understand that so it, in in a way like that changes the audience so um, right now I have. 600 and some people have bought the book. Um, the new book. The new book on, on Kickstarter. That's but, great. Go on. And, and, and that's that's super amazing. But if I had done it through Image and only 600 people bought it, it would have been a huge disaster. Sure. Right? So, yeah. Um, and, and the only reason why th- this works this way is because I'm not having a huge chunk taken out by Diamond. And uh, I don't have to pay stores – you know, pay a, a chunk to stores or then the stock it, which, you know, I love stores and I love having my books in them. But when you have a smaller audience, sometimes doing this direct way is, is the best way to fund fund your work and get it made, you know. Yes, but uh, also, and again, um, well, first of all, thankfully, when you started, you yourself had a great style for that initial Kickstarter for God Hates Astronauts. But since then, you know, you're you're a proven commodity and then also you are bringing on these other proven com- commodities. So I do think the the established creators that do their Kickstarters yourself, like I said, Paul Jenkins and Jimmy Palmiotti are easy, you know, names to come up with and everything. Sure. But yeah, you know, they're proven brands and they and they even if you don't know necessarily their collaborators, you know them. You know, and Ron Mars is I think becoming like that as well. And I know he's been doing a lot of Kickstarters lately. Um so yeah, I mean, I think that helps that there's like kind of a known name, uh, you know, going in, and um, yeah, I mean, because then there are the other Kickstarter people that you know they they are their first comics, and mm-hmm. sometimes they look like their first comics and stuff, and sometimes you know you're, you, you, I, I'm glad to see that they do find backers and and something happens, but that's the thing, I you know your 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 initial backers, as you've explained to me before, also help you. You know, they they buy the book, they buy the book for themselves, but it's enough money for you 
to get a thousand books or whatever, or two thousand books, and then you can go and sell them at cons and and two stores after it's made. And I, I just love the whole process, and I think it's a good proof of concept. The the initial people get their product, and I know you are diligent about you know getting it done within a reasonable amount of time and getting to getting it to them. I mean that's the thing. I think all the dangers of supporting a Kickstarter campaign. People like yourself, you've you've proven it. You know how to do it, and they trust you. And and even if it, if something does happen, and oh, you know something, it is going to be two months late. It's not like oh yeah, it's three years later. Where the hell's the Kickstarter? You know where the hell's the book? Yeah, yeah. So well, I yeah, I mean, I I base it off of like a pretty simple idea of um, trying to take a lot of the trust and risk out of it for the people that want the book. Um, that it's kind of on my shoulders. So I, you know, I've been working on this book since October, um, and it is almost entirely done. Um, just for the most part, it's just colors and some letters and book design that isn't finished yet that uh, I will have done by the time Kickstarter ends. Um, and so that's a t- that's a big risk and for me, um, but it's not a big risk for the people that are backing the book. And I feel like since it's my project, I'm the one that should be taking the risk, not uh, the person that's going to give me money uh, to hopefully get a book. Like I want them to feel like 99% sure, unless I get hit by a bus, that this is uh, book has come this far and there's very little risk in, in the person backing it. And that's that's the policy that I've had with all my Kickstarters. So, you know, the idea is I want to do this again. Um, and I want this to be a viable way for me to make my comics. So I need to make this uh, as smooth of a process for the people that are trusting me with their pre-orders. Um, and, you know, so far so good. And that's why this, you know, this Kickstarter got funded in three days. And it wow. was, like, fantastic, you know. And, and you know, I'm pretty straightforward with everyone. I asked, I asked for 30 grand on this one. And... That that money pays for the printing, the shipping, uh, the fulfillment company that I'm going to use this time, um, and then paying for letters, paying for colors, paying every one of these artists, uh, except for myself, uh, to work on the book. And so I was asking for more money than I usually ask for because I have to pay so many people that are working on this thing. Sure. And I, I think that's like the only way to – to be honest and go about it, like be very, very clear with, with all the finances on it. Absolutely. No, full transparency. And, um, again, yeah. um, yeah, I'm, lo- I'm looking at your Kickstarter page now. Uh, by the time we put this out, there's still going to be a week left of the campaign. So, uh, you know, I, my guess is Ryan, you might be writing with, uh, Howard Chaikin on a word balloon just to let you know <laughs> the, the likelihood <laughs> and everything. Yeah, yeah. man. So, uh, no, and I mean that's the thing. I I uh, I want to I want to help while I can as well, and um, that's that's great. Now it's called the Three D Cowboys Two D Spec Spectacular. So are there three yeah. D pages in the book? Well, the the main narrator of God Hates Astronauts is named Three D Cowboy, and he's made in that you know red blue three yeah. D style. Sure, and he it actually works. Um, if you have 3d glasses, yeah. uh, but the book doesn't come with them. Uh, okay. <laughs> but, but so yeah, every time he is actually in 3d, but he's the only thing on the page that is in 3d. So he'll pop off. Sure. Except in this new book, uh, he 3d cowboy 
uh, ended up in prison at the end of the last volume of God Hates Astronauts. So <laughs> the new one is about him in prison, and he's forced to his his shitty son, 3D Millennial, is uh, 3D Millennial is forced to come and visit his dad, who he hates, and learn the art of storytelling in prison. So it's the whole thing is the framework is 3D Millennial learning story from his dad in like a visitation room at a prison. Um, and so as 3D as 3D Cowboy tells these stories, uh, different artists draws every one of the stories, uh, and and I wrote the whole thing. So That's excellent. Yeah, I drew, I wrote and drew the framework, and then I wrote all the stories, and then uh, guest artists did all all the different stories. So the stories are. Like in the God Hates Astronauts universe, but entirely out of any continuity. Sure. Um, you know, like they're just fun little silly stories. Like characters die in some of these stories that aren't really dead in the continuity and whatnot. You know, so it's just I don't know. It's just fun goofs. Yeah. No, it's I mean, and again, I, I if the curse words audience is new to God Hates Astronauts, they're going to find the same kind of humor in that. I mean, that's a great thing. I mean, I know you're working with Charles, and it is its own thing, but. They do they do dovetail as far as their own stuff. And then, in fact, as you say on your Kickstarter page, I would say Rick and Morty fans would find it fun, the Venture Brother fans, uh, mm-hmm. definitely. And also, I always love the fact that um, you're smart about you know your pledges and stuff. For 10 bucks, if you just want it digitally, that, that's a way you can get the story and everything. You don't have to worry about the hardcover. 20 bucks for the hardcover, which is great, uh, and I think re- you know very reasonable. And then from there, hardcover with a sketch for thirty bucks. Um, I'm looking at some of your uh, man. You got a 3D toy, so a 3D yeah. cowboy toy for forty five yeah. bucks. I mean, that's the thing. I, I really think your your pledge levels are reasonable and pay off well. Because I mean, I've I've supported a million Kickstarters where I'm just like, hey, I want to give you money. I just want to read the story. I mean, you know, is mm-hmm. there a way for me to do that? And you make it easy. So that's that's fantastic. Um, yeah, and especially with with international shipping is so crazy high now. Yeah, um, has it gotten worse? Has it gotten worse? I mean, it it seems that way to me. I mean, I haven't done a Kickstarter in two years, but you know, I got the way doing a hard a hardcover is not a, a light book, obviously, and sure. so the printer gave me the weight, and I know what packaging materials I want to use approximately, and so. I know exactly how much the package is going to cost, and I use USPS shipping international shipping rate calculator. And man, it's it's really even getting to Canada. The book is it seems more than it should be. So uh, hopefully the the international fans that don't want to you know pay twenty six dollars in shipping for a twenty dollar book, um, you know, hopefully some of them are still reading the book by getting it digitally, you know, sure. cause, so they don't have to pay for that. But yeah, it's, it's pretty wild. What other things have you learned in the last two years that are different using Kickstarter that, you know, weren't an issue two years ago or it didn't just pop up? Um, they, they added some ways of, uh, detailing exactly what is in each level, which is nice. Like, so, you can be a little bit more colorful with the text that you use to describe a backer level. And then at the end, there's a list of you can list um, what exactly everyone gets through it. Um, the Kickstarter landscape has changed a lot since I last did it and that comics aren't nearly as popular um, and board games and tech tech uh, stuff sure. has really taken over. Sure. So um, it's been uh, 
harder to get up on the charts for popular things on Kickstarter because oh. they're board games that are making millions of dollars right now. Sure. Um, but that's the way it like consistently is. Like there's always a million dollar board game on Kickstarter or something that's making, you know, seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars on Kickstarter. So uh, comics don't tend to do that with a few, you know, outliers, so it's tougher to get up on those popular charts. So that's that's definitely changed. Um, do they list popularity by, you know, genre? Is there a list for board games? Yeah, is there a list there for is, comics and stuff? Yes, there is a genre thing. Um, so you can go into the comics section and see what's popular. But then the main, like, popular page is yeah. just across all genres. Sure. And um, that's when Kickstarters tend to really take off is if you can get your book Right, on, on the main page. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, no, I uh, get that. That's... Wow, that's like iTunes with podcasting. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, I mean, believe me, I remember in 2005 being really happy when, hey, look, we're balloons on the main page. And those days are gone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's, it's, it's not going to happen. So um, and, and that's that's interesting. That's surprising. And again, not well, I guess not surprising. That's I can appreciate somebody being of the Kickstarter community. Yeah, obviously they see the main page first. What's going on? What's interesting? Yeah, sure. So very cool, man. Well, I'm glad you're doing as well as you are, and I'm and and I'm sorry that I couldn't help out until the 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 last lap. I'm like the fourth oh, man. No, I'm, really I'm the anchor man. Uh, yeah, no, I, I honestly like the best way to communicate to my fans was through Kickstarter, um, especially now I've had such a difficult time with Facebook. Used to be a really big one to share this, you know, share my project with. Uh, with friends and family and now most of my friends and family don't even realize I have a Kickstarter going because Kickstarter or his Facebook immediately buries anything um, with a link to a Kickstarter in it. So that's been, uh, that's interesting. Really? Do they do, yeah. do they by design kind of? Yeah. Not- so I mean, yeah. my posts, no one sees any of my posts at all anymore. It's like I've been flagged because I put that out there. Where, where were those so, but, questions from Congress Zuckerberg? Exactly. I would I like to ask why uh, Kickstarter is now no longer uh, something. Is there an algorithm that I am unaware of, Mr. Yeah. Zuckerberg? God, was, wasn't that, I mean, as, as a guy that really does use social media and stuff, man, nice to see our government as clueless as ever. Couldn't there have been some yeah. guy working... <laughs> For some of these congressmen and women and senators to like say, okay, this is how this stuff works. I understand this is online. Am I correct? <laughs> is that what we're talking about here? When you say Facebook, it is not an actual book nor a face. Is that correct, sir? <sighs> May I have more time? <laughs> no. <laughs> Jesus. I like it. That sucks, hell of, man. hell of an impression. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I'm not sure exactly which congressman that, that I'm represents. I'm not sure. It's all of them. But it's it does, yeah. It's kind of, well, much like case astronauts, it's kind of an amalgam of like things. For sure. So, right. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. But no, I, that's that's really insane. And yeah, I don't know. You know, so like, are you using, are you leaning on other social media like, you know, Twitter or Snapchat or Face, you know, whatever the the hipster, whatever the yeah. kids are using these days. Twi- Twitter is still the one that's um, like Twitter. There's tons of traffic, but yeah. you at least um, you don't get intentionally buried. Yes, um, Inst- Instagram really controls the way you see things as well. Um, 
Oh well, with, and again, aren't they aren't aren't they tied together? Instagram and Facebook in some yeah yeah they are devious yeah. way. Yeah, that's what I thought. Then. Um, but you know, like I have a Facebook fan page for uh, for God hates astronauts, and through the fan page, you can pay for advertising to get your yeah. post seen. Yeah, which you know it makes sense. Like you're trying to get something out of it for your business, it makes sense that you pay for it. But um, from what I can figure out, there's no way to promote your own personal thing um like you're you're on your personal page so it's just it's weird to me that um you know facebook always has that illusion that it lets you know what's happening in the lives of your friends and family but it actually doesn't um and this was you know just another example of that so no i understand and i uh i know from my own promotion of word balloon uh it's not you know facebook sucks compared to uh twitter and mm-hmm. I've and I've even you know tried to buy ads on Facebook, and I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm not satisfied with uh, what you're doing for me there, pal. Sure. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I'm not. Uh, I don't. I don't really buy Facebook ads anymore. Again, another question I would have asked of Zuckerberg if I had him on the stand. But that is interesting. <laughs> I, I didn't. I didn't realize that Kickstarter was getting kind of kicked out of uh, of Facebook. That's very very interesting. Jesus. Yeah. Wolf. What else, Brownie? What else is going on, man? What have you had time uh... for? What's that? I said, what have you had time for? Have you seen any cool movies? Have you seen uh, any? Uh, we're, a you couple, know, we're a couple weeks away from Infinity War. What would you think of Black Panther? You know, I didn't see it. I Shocking. really, uh, Yeah, no, I I have had such... Like, we're planning this Kickstarter and still doing a monthly comic. Um, and then con season, yeah. you know, happening and taxes and everything. Like, it's been a, a wild ride uh, <laughs> recently. So, um, you know, most of the movies I've seen... I was drawing while I was watching them. You sure. know, so, <laughs> I understand. Uh, have you? Uh, so, I was. I was C two E two for you. It was great. It was really was it? wild. And that that's my best show every year, and it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. And um, yeah, I don't know. It's really great. I I'm doing um, I'm doing this book that uh, I'm self publishing called Trash Bridge. Okay, uh, <laughs> tell uh, me about Trash Bridge. <laughs> Trash Bridge is a. I'm I'm co-writing with Steve Seeley, um, and Jim Terry does uh, does the art. And, Fantastic. Um, so yeah, it's like our it's our love letter to '80s B movies, like direct to VHS B movie that you know that didn't exist. Uh, like uh, it's so it's sort of Toxic Avenger meets um, Escape from New York meets RoboCop. Um, and so it's, it's like intentionally schlocky and ridiculous and, uh, but we try to tell it pretty straight. Um, so yeah, so we, we self-published, uh, an edition of the, the first issue and we had it for Animal City Comic Con and for C2E2 just to kind of test the waters and see if people were into that kind of aesthetic and got the joke. Yeah. Uh, and, and so far so good. It, it's, it's gone really well. Well, I can see that obviously dovetailing into your stuff. Blast Furnace wasn't that your book that you challenged yeah. yourself with a couple of years ago? Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. So is it in that vein as well? Uh, no, it's it's more uh, straight. Okay. You know, in terms of the tone. Okay. Um, you know, it's 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 a really so the the book is about um, so it's called Trash Bridge, and it's about um, post apocalyptic in the yeah well it's in a distant future and our world is is like ecologically ravaged by pollution mm-hmm. um and the skies are filled with toxic storms and 
the seas are filled with giant mutant creatures. And so travel between North America and Europe have become all but uh, impossible at this point. So there's this joint coalition between uh, uh, the American government and like the European Union to recycle all their garbage into a 2,000 plus mile long transatlantic bridge <laughs> made entirely out of garbage. Um, and that's the trash bridge. Right. So it's this 2,000 plus mile long bridge and people move onto the bridge. They make, you know, uh, trash road truck stops and diners and hotels and motels. And, you know, so this whole economy kind of builds on this bridge um, because it's you know two thousand miles long, it's a, it's a one hell of a drive. Sure. Um, and so our our story is about the uh, Trash Bridge Police Department uh, and two cops in particular. It's like so it's like a buddy cop story that takes place on the Trash Bridge. Mm-hmm. Um, but the government hid illegal uh, medicinal toxic waste in the bridge to try and dispose of it. And so it slowly starts bubbling up to the surface of the bridge and starts turning the people that live on the bridge into these trash mutants. Okay. And so it's like uh, like a trauma-style, like, punk rock uh, future mutant uh, guys, you know, who wear all their clothes and weapons and armor is all made out of trash they recycled from the bridge. Um, and so our, our, trash, our two trash cops have to have to deal with the, with the trash mutants. Outstanding. And so that's what... That's what it's about. Fantastic. Yeah. That's great, man. That's excellent. And eventually, yeah. obviously, you'll you'll put it in a trade and you know sell it as well. But you're hand selling it now at cons. Is that the deal? Yeah, we're hand selling it now. We did an edition of 300 for issue one, just to kind of test the waters. Um, and you know, it's got a real good grimy 2080 kind of look to it. Yeah, Jim's uh, the perfect artist for something like this. That's great. Yeah, yeah, it looks really, really good. His mutant designs are hilarious. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, so so far so good. You know, it's since we're self-publishing this thing, and you know, Steve and I want Jim to get paid for his work, and you know, colors and letters, and we gotta, you know, fund the book. So it's it's kind of an interesting economic thing to just figure out. How can we make a comic by ourselves and not lose our shirts on it? Sure. Uh, and so we're kind of taking it slowly and being cautious with the amount of money we spend in it. Um, and I think it's gone well enough with this first issue that w- that will uh, make issue two and et cetera, et cetera, and, and see where it goes from there. Possibly eventually doing a Kickstarter for it. Um, but you know, seeing seeing how we can start with a brand new concept from scratch and do it all ourselves. That's great, man! And you got two great collaborators with you. I, oh yeah, I love sure. Steve's. I love Steve's work. I love Jim's work as well. So, uh, and again, that's a pure four star effort. So that's yeah. that's fantastic. I uh, no, and I love the concept too. That's that's wonderful. Uh, and I'm glad you're doing it's, it kind of seriously. That's that's neat. I think that's a great idea for an adventure thing. And um, yeah, it almost seems like we're ripe for people to kind of look fondly back. I mean, they've done things like, you know, uh, new total recall, new RoboCop and things like that. But I think they miss, there's something missing. I'm sure you guys feel the oh, same the tone, way. Yeah. The tone is so off on those movies. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so maybe, yeah, maybe the time is right to, uh, have something new that comes from those inspirations and everything. I think that's a great idea. Nice going that trash bridge. 
Very cool. Yeah, yeah. At, a, at a con near you very shortly. What do you, yeah. what's, what's your, uh, what's your schedule coming up uh, for uh, spring and summer uh, con season? Uh, well, Charles is trying to convince me to do a very short West coast tour for curse words. Um, not in a van or anything like that and not over the course of a month, but, uh, hit some of the stores that were interested in having us out, um, for our last tour. Cool. So I think we will do that in July. Excellent. Um, and other than that, I really, um, I'd really like to not do a comic show for a while, I think, because it, doing a monthly book is so hard and so time consuming that when I do a comic show, it sets me back. Sure. Um, so, yeah, so I don't really have anything booked for a while. Okay. And I guess I'm okay with that, you know? So, I understand. Are like, people- there, were, there were years where I would do 10 to 12 shows every sure. year. And sure. then now I think maybe I'm down to four or five a year. So. I understand. Uh, me too. I understand. I uh, mm-hmm. are, are people able to get Trash uh, Bridge digitally along with the, uh, the, the physical copies? Uh, not yet. Um, it's... Uh, available on my Etsy store, so okay. I, I that's where I self-publish and self-sell a lot of weirdo little indie books that I make. Yeah, uh, so you can get it on my Etsy store, but also I, I think that I'm going to have use uh, a service for the Kickstarter that allows you to add things to your order when you're filling out your survey. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I do that, then I, I will have trash bridge available to pack in with the kickstarter you know to save save for people on shipping and whatnot if they're already getting a package from me what's the what's the url for your etsy store i'm not a usual etsy user so if that's a stupid question for you you know uh it it used to just be godhatesastronauts.com would point to it but that now points to the kickstarter so okay um but it's 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 the god hates astronauts etsy store so if you google god hates astronauts and etsy you will you will find it excellent all right, man. Very, very cool. What am I missing? Am I missing anything? I feel because no, like, I, I know it's it. kind of it's like a shorter conversation, and you'll forgive me. But yeah, I just want to uh, check in and always, dude. Honestly, I, I always appreciate your point of view on uh, creator-owned comics because you get it done, and you seem to have. I, I know you're still looking for, like you say, uh, cracking the code on these various projects as you do them. But I know you're a hell of a lot, you know, further along and ahead of the curve more than a lot of other creators. And the fact that you share this with us uh, on these podcast interviews, I always appreciate it. And I know that a lot of uh, aspiring creators also really appreciate hearing what you have to say because I get the feedback in email and uh, sure. messages and stuff. So really, thanks, thanks for doing this. And uh, truly, as always, continued success. God hates astronauts. 3D Cowboys, 2D Spectacular. That's the Kickstarter. Curse Words is up and running as well. And Trash Bridge, <laughs> which I really, I like the concept and I like the people behind it. As always, you got good uh, collaborators with you, Ryan Brown. And uh, Oh, yeah. So now keep keep up the great work, man. I'm always uh, glad to check in and uh, see what's going on. And if I can help in my way, you're helping me by giving me a good, uh, good content for the podcast. So thank you. Right on. Well, thanks, man. This has been fun. Great conversation with Ryan Brown. To start things off on today's Word Balloon, I am so happy that he is uh, still making more God Hates Astronauts. And uh, also, uh, Trash Bridge sounds pretty cool. Can't wait to uh, check that out as that storyline develops. Word Balloon is also brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com. Word Balloon is also brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com. There are a lot of great books that are waiting for you 
at InStockTrades.com. And I just want to look at some uh, Ryan Brown and Howard Chaikin uh, properties and see what, uh, what are out there right now. You can get things like, how about this, uh, Project Superpowers, Hero Killers. Ryan did the writing for this, Pete Woods did the art, and it's Ryan's usual bizarre kind of take on some of the uh, crazy characters like Captain Battle Jr. and Sparky and Tim. Yeah, Tim. Well, these are uh, some of the interesting uh, sidekicks that were there for uh, some of these classic heroes. You can get this uh, trade for 30% off. It's $13.99. You can get the first two volumes of Curse Words. Uh, they are also available to you uh, through uh, it's, it's stocktrades.com. Charles Soule, Ryan Brown. Volume 1 is 42% off. It's $5.79. Volume 2, Explosion, Explosion Town, is also 42% uh, off, $9.85. You can also get things like uh, the various volumes of God Hates Astronauts. Volume 2, A Star is Born, is uh, that came through Image. Uh, this one is 42% off, $8.69. Volume 3 is also available for $8.69. And uh, a hell of a lot more. Uh, volume 1, of course, is uh, 42% off, $10.43. So lots of great uh, God's Hates Astronauts available to you at InStockTrades.com. I'll tell you what, uh, on the back of Howard's uh, interview, we'll tell you about some of the great Howard Chaikin product that you can get at InStockTrades at great prices. InStockTrades.com. Now let's talk to Howard Chaikin. I always look forward to my chats with Howard. It's been a couple years. Great to have Howard back to give us more from uh, his recommended reading and watching and listening lists. They are peppered through the conversation. I think you'll enjoy uh, his observations. Howard's had some controversy lately. Uh, divided states of hysteria rub some people the wrong way. And uh, I understand, but I also, like I've seen in the conversation, my First Amendment gene kind of kicks in when people say, this shouldn't be published. Uh, okay, uh, no, sorry. Still America, kids. And uh, Howard's a liberal. Howard's always been a liberal. Uh, American flag uh, shocked me in the best way and uh, led me to the shadow. And I loved his run on the shadow back in the day. These were violent, sexy, racy, exploitive comics in a very pulpy tradition. And Howard continues to crank out stories like that all the time. And Divided States of Hysteria... He was filter-free. Uh, he talks about how when he's made his current Rough and Ready series for DC, you know, they rejected his first draft, which probably would have been a lot dirtier. And uh, he expected Hanna-Barbera, I guess, to say no about what he wanted to do. But he still managed to twist that book into an incredible look at uh, the media today and I think uh, the celebrity spin cycle that uh, people can find themselves in and all the pitfalls uh, through the lens of Rough and Ready. Uh, think of like a 50s Martin and Lewis kind of duo uh, suddenly you know, being transported today and trying to make a comeback in today's media world. It's hilarious. I can't recommend it enough. And uh, it comes from the same place as Divided States of Hysteria. And I'm also very excited for his new series, Hey Kids Comics, which will be a fictionalized but, uh, you know, I guess based on truth as far as uh, the comic book industry and its evolution from the 40s through the 2000s. Really excited to see that. That's coming up later in the year, and he teases us with some details about that. And he also teases us with his abuse for me because I am like a puppy dog around Howard. I can't help it. I've been such a fan. Uh, for over 30 years, well, close to 40 years now, and get excited every time he's going to make something new. 
And um, I just think he's a very funny guy. And I think misunderstood. I think a lot of the people that uh, don't like his stuff just aren't on the same wavelength as far as Howard's crazy, sick humor. And I like sick humor. At one point in the conversation, Howard and I talk about Blackhawks. His love for the series... And a surprising encounter with Will Eisner. He talks about it on his Facebook page in a post he put up April 18th at about 3.45 in the afternoon. And I just want to give you a couple of highlights. First of all, he acknowledges that Will Eisner clearly is uh, one of the guys that uh, made comic books what they were today. Uh, In fact, uh, he says... Uh, You may agree or disagree, but it's my considered and informed opinion that it was Will Eisner who first conceived, identified, and delivered on the categorical differences between the kind of narrative delivered in newspaper comic strips and the specific storytelling techniques dictated by the structure, reading experience, and audience age of the newly created comic books. I'm skipping to another paragraph now. Sometime in the late 80s, I was a guest of a convention in Barcelona, along with Will Eisner and Joe Kubert. In the course of the panel, Eisner, who up to this time I had never met, referred to me as a fascist. I was so taken aback, all I could do was make a lame joke, offering Kubert 10 bucks to kick his ass. Joe indicated he'd consider it for 20. Ultimately, I learned that his completely mistaken assumption about my political leanings derived entirely from his seeing a few of the American flag covers, but certainly never actually read anything inside. So I just wanted to put that in context uh, as we get into our conversation and uh, (laughs) hear uh, Howard's, uh, you know, understandably negative opinion of Will Eisner. And hey, I love Will Eisner. As I say, I got to meet him. He seemed like a very nice guy, affable guy. I accept Howard's uh, phrases. As he says, your mileage may vary. But I wanted to uh, put that in context and give you a little bit of, uh, you know, what you can find. And really, I can't recommend it enough. You got to follow Howard on Facebook because uh, that's where his uh, musings usually happen. And I think he's just a fascinating guy, and I'm always interested in his point of view. So without further ado, let's get into our conversation now with Howard Chaikin on WordBloom. Howard Chaikin is back, and I'm really glad because he suffered through my uh, technical difficulties last week, but still uh, decided to come back and uh, abuse me for an hour, which I'm always happy I mean, to get. Bear in mind that suffering amused consisted of cartoon comedy, because I, I love other people screwing up their stuff. It's the best. Welcome There's no back. schadenfreude like good schadenfreude, you know what I'm saying? I'm glad I'm uh, keeping up with uh, your Facebook posts because, um, you know, there was some news dropping about Blackhawks and mm-hmm. the possibility of uh, Spielberg producing a Blackhawk movie, possibly. You have to understand that I take this with an enormous grain of salt because when I moved to California in 85, my first, the first studio person I met was Joel Silver, who at the time was, was going to be was, was seriously about to produce a Blackhawk picture directed by Spielberg. Uh, which, as you know, did, you know, history tells you it didn't happen. No, you know? it didn't. Well, I remember uh, growing it was up. Like, it was like the Titanic arriving in New York, you know. I remember, um, I re- I remember growing up with uh, Starlog, and I want to say it was always Starlog that would have, or maybe it was a different movie sci-fi kind of magazine that used to always list. Coming up, you know, they're developing a Green Lantern movie, and they're doing a Silver Surfer movie and all that stuff, and of course all that stuff never happened. Look, I'm still waiting for the uh, Michael Mann version of Agincourt by, uh, by Bernard Cornwell. <laughs> Or the TV series version of Bernie Gunther's novels uh, by you know, Bruce by Tom Hanks. So, and, and the Mary Doria Russell doc, doc novel turned into a miniseries. Yeah, I mean, but I, I'm, I'm a cockeyed But as, I, as, as you've heard me say more than once, development is where optimists go to die. Okay? <laughs> and uh, I have no faith or interest. I mean, I mean I'll, I'll be surprised if it actually happens. But I did want to acknowledge your very interesting post about 
your experience not only reading Blackhawks, but run-ins with Will Eisner, which shocked the hell out of me, man. We never discussed this. My 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 vent of spleen never really crossed this 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 particular bridge. Interesting. I, that's why I read it on Facebook. I wanted you to share it. Yeah, I mean, it was one of the things that uh, that what's his name, Darwin Cook, threatened to beat me up over. You know. <laughs> yes, it is like being back in seventh grade more than anyone can possibly imagine. <laughs> Do you want to tell us? Like you were on a panel with him, and he he called you a fascist. Yeah, so a friend of mine tried to figure out whether he was perhaps being facetious or dropping a joke that didn't fly. And I said, no, not at all. Eisner had no sense of humor with anybody except in terms of cruelty directed at others. Interesting. Wow. That's, um, yeah, man, that's shocking. I, you know, I, had, I had one experience. He came to Chicago, the University of Chicago, for a humanities weekend. And, right. And because and, whole... and, and he was visiting the human race. You know? <laughs> <laughs> he seemed pleasant enough, and obviously I was yeah, not but, but, I mean, his, his, pleasant, his pleasantness was simply a, you know, a, a, uh, a role, a persona played. I mean, okay. his contempt for, the, for those around him was deep and profound. Um, again, this, you know, your mileage may very well differ. There are people who oh, disagree sure. with me, like, 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 like Darwin Cook, who threatened to beat me up with what, what I'd said about Will. Um, but I stand by what I said about Will. Um, he he disliked me intensely from from word one for reasons which remain a mystery to me. And um, the and the only the only actual civil conversation and we'd never been introduced by the way on this panel. This is the first time we'd ever met. Wow. And um, the only civil conversation we ever had was in 1994 in a jitney, as we were guests at a uh, at a convention in Sao Paulo, Brazil, where we discussed our mutual loathing for Bob Kane. <laughs> who, who was one of the one of the most disgusting human beings who ever walked the earth? <laughs> you know, I, yeah. I, every time I talk, I see Steranko. I keep forgetting to ask him whether the anecdote of him slapping Bob was true. Like I get a, a straight answer from Jim, you know that kind of stuff. You know, yeah, that, 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 yeah, sure, yeah, I'll, yeah, he's going to tell me the truth. Exactly, yeah, man. No, you'll get a good story out of it, whether it's true or not. That that's well, I mean, I, and if it's true, I'd love that, that, that it's so beautifully apocryphal. Uh, I'm getting another call coming in. Can you hold a second? Can Absolutely. you sound for a moment? Absolutely. Oh, hold on. I'm back to you. That was Don Cameron. Fantastic. Fantastic. You know, <laughs> Don is, is is busily working on the covers for the new book for Image, and uh, we're having a great time over here. I absolutely want to talk about that. Hey, Kids Comics, correct? It, it is indeed. Excellent. I uh, I wanted to talk about what's out there, though, because, well, first of all, Rough and Ready. Good lord, man! Did you like it? Absolutely, man! Are you kidding me? Okay, I have, I have, I, have, I get no, I get no input. You know, I really don't. Um, no one tells me anything, um, and I, I mean, I, I mean, my reason for being hired on it was so insulting to me that I had to do it. You know, I mean, it was, <laughs> what happened? You're old. You know, I, we, I mean, the the the, self, the pitch to me to do the book was we want to do rough and ready as if there was a Sunshine Boys, and. And I said, oh, it's because I'm really fucking old, and I remember that shit. Uh, yeah. yeah, they didn't admit to that, but that's really the way it is. You know, that, that's what it's about. <laughs> now, that's crazy. He's old. I just, I just saw the Sunshine Boys again. It was on demand on uh, Turner, and I watched it uh-huh. yesterday morning. But also, you see, now, um, to me, it was, and obviously that was your, their pitch to you. But, yeah, it was like, you know, Martin and Lewis suddenly reappearing and having to, or, a, you know, right. hitting today's media world, social media world, and the ridiculous parade of networks that stream and are on cable and on regular TV. It was fantastic. And they chickened, they chickened out on so much stuff. My, my scripts were deeply, and then understandably, bowdlerized. There was, there was no way that H&B was going to let, let the stuff that I went through. I mean, oh, it's 
Somewhere there's going to be a market for my first draft. I would love to read that. Absolutely, man. I'll no. bet you would. <laughs> well, that's the thing, man. It's, I, and, and, bear, and bear in mind, they said, we want you to go balls to the wall. And, of course, their, their balls and mine may differ. You know, I mean, uh, <laughs> so I, uh, I, I went balls to the wall, and unfortunately I got them cut off when I got there. You know, I do know. And, I, well, yeah, I mean, and we'll get to Divided States of Hysteria because certainly uh, I want to – See, you know, a few more months down the line, if whatever. But, I, you know, they rough and ready, it did kind of come out like, you know, it slid under the door. I mean, and, and all this, like, Hanna-Barbera stuff, I really appreciate the experimentation that everybody's doing. Uh, but, yeah, I wish that there was a little more, I don't know, trumpets behind it because it was. Well, it was I, this I, awesome. I, I can't for the life of me figure out who the audience for this stuff is. I really don't. You know, I think, you know... I mean, I've not seen the Snagglepuss book, but I'm very curious about it. I'll, I'll, sure. I'll, I'm, I'm gonna, I'll wait, I'll, I'll wait till it's traded. Mm-hmm. Cause like everybody else, I'll wait for the trade. Cause, yeah. You know, why, why bother? Why bother supporting monthly comics when you can ruin ruin other people's lives? Um, and and as since DC doesn't have accomplice anymore, and I loathe digital comics, I'm not going to see it on Comicsology. I'll, I'll, I'll buy a copy, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but I love the guy who I don't, I don't know who wrote the the Snagglepuss. He's the same guy who wrote the, the Flintstones. And I thought the Flintstone was one of the one of the, the wittiestly the, the best written yes. book that DC was publishing for quite some time. Agreed. Um, I didn't think it was I didn't think it was as good a comic book as it could have been, but I thought that um, that the scripts were amazing. Yeah, uh, I really did. Well, and I was against the look because you know you think, oh man, why why would you fuck with you know what worked for fifty years? But you're right, the scripts really pulled me in, and I'm like, oh, this really is funny. And God, uh, uh, you know, diametrically opposed to that. And forgive me, I don't have it in front of me. Who was your artist for uh, Rough and Ready? Matthew Reynolds. Jesus, man. Fantastic. This guy comes out, it's phenomenal, right? Yes, absolutely. Holy shit. Fucking Matthew, I mean, he, he's, we were introduced by Cully, by, by Cully Handler, who, as you you probably know, is one of my favorite people in the universe. I didn't know you guys were, but and that's cool. I like Cully a lot as well. I like Cully a lot. Now, Cully is, Cully is my, my, my son I never knew I deserved. And um, he introduced me to, to Matt, and um, we hit it off immediately. We were at a show, and when 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 they, we were discussing artists for this book, they were sending me various different approaches. And I said, "Take a look at this cat," you know. And and he dove in, and he just jumped all over with both feet. I thought it was fantastic. Very black, yeah. sad in the best way, you know. Uh, oh, I mean, and again with with a with a an animator's feel, yep. with a graphic design feel that was absolutely just completely out of left, just amazing. I love the work. Well, and it fit, it absolutely fit the idea of these 50s characters having to deal with today, and they almost morphed into, you know, today's world from Max's point of view, and it's, again, parodies of all the various talk show hosts, and, as you're, you know, you're all too familiar, I'm sure, uh, world of, you know, today's PA at, that's a nobody at a, at a big agency is going to be tomorrow's head of the network or whatever. Look, I mean, that, that was, you know, that, that was an experience I had I back in the 80s and early 90s when, when that precisely that happened. I'm not going to name names, but it happens, you know. And, and, and with any luck, some of the people that I was working with who were executives back then are working at Pink's now selling hot dogs. <laughs> if there is a God injustice, you know, you never know. Hey man, I, I've I've had similar things happen in radio, and absolutely, man. Yesterday's executives are you know well out of the picture and, and are inconsequential to today's world. I uh, and, and you know inconsequential is the best that can ever ever happen to them because they got away from being run over on a bridge. <laughs> I am I right? A little cameo for you in one of the issues as well. I don't think 
show. Really? Oh, I thought somebody looked kind of like you. One of the, one of the network people that Rough and Ready were dealing with, and I, that's a great thing. I don't recall. Maybe. Yeah, you know, but that was that was what was great about it, man. No, just a really great uh, look at these guys. And again, yeah, I agree with you. I don't know who the audience would be, but I'm glad that even this little area of DC is at least experimenting. I mean, I love traditional comic books, but it, I mean, you know, and I'm bummed that they didn't let you go full throttle, but I can only imagine what, you know, <laughs> what kind of sex scenes we might have gotten uh, it, it was, if you it were was, no, the, 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 the first drafts were disgusting. <laughs> when you say you mean filthy disgusting, obviously. Mm-hmm. boy. Absolutely. <laughs> well, yeah, man. Well, again, even toned down, I, 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 your message comes through clear. And anyone that is fed up today with just the, the hype machine and, and, you know, I mean, God, forget about fake news. Just even, you know, just what passes for entertainment and also entertainment news is just sick. And, and God, I mean, I don't know, man. I, I guess I'm, as I get older and stuff, I, I'm watching Cavett reruns. And even the Carson ones, I don't know if you guys get Antenna TV out there, but they're doing Carson reruns on that, kind of like Me TV knockoff channel. And uh, right. I love watching the old 90-minute Carsons where literally they have nothing to say to each other, and it kind of has like a kind of dead moment because it was just I, you know, I, I, I was never a Carson guy. I, was, I mean, I, for me, I, I mean, when, I, my, when, when my, my mother was leaving me alone to go up and date my, when my parents split up, yep. I was staying up to all hours while she was out watching the Par show. Sure. And so much of my sensibility is derived from that when I was a little boy. But I always thought Carson, Carson struck me as just, you know, in the way that, you know, Garrison Keillor said that if, you, if you're from New York, you're probably Jewish, whether you are or not. And if you're Minnesota, <laughs> even if you're Jewish, you're not. Um, to a great extent, Carson read so guyish to me that there, there seemed to be something a remove and attachment from, from me. As watchful as Par was, he still seemed to have a cosmopolitan sensibility that Carson lacked for me. And my understanding is, that Carson had that, that, that sensibility off camera, but that he, what he was doing, from, from, my, from my perspective, Carson's shtick was a Gentile version of Jack Benny, and I never really warmed to it. Interesting. You know? Well, and I mean, you know, you know, you're right, too, and he came from Nebraska. I think in a lot right. of ways, maybe he was, to you, the way I see Jimmy Fallon. Where I'm just like, eh, you know, this guy is. Really- I, I, I don't get. I, I don't get found. But I, I'm not a late night guy anyway. I mean, I. I mean, <laughs> this is gonna sound pathetic, but I'm in bed by nine. I'm really fucking boring. <laughs> um, I live in a small town where the business is agriculture and surfing, and um, and I, I'm rarely. I mean, I, I'm in bed by nine and asleep by ten. And I, I've never seen Kimmel. I've never. I haven't seen Fallon more than once. Um, I have never seen a Colbert show at all. Um, and I, I have, I haven't, and I, I never, I stopped watching Letterman years ago, so I haven't exactly. seen any of these shows. All I know about them is what pops up on YouTube or you know on on Daily Beast or, or you know I the, the only one of these shows I watch is, is Bill Maher's show, you know. I, and I still watch Bill Maher as well. Uh, that was great. You posted, uh, I think it was Daily Beast, pointing out that mm-hmm. Maher's like the last critic that's willing yeah. to take on the left, and uh, rightfully so. I, I agree with that sentiment and. Uh, you know, Mar, Mar. You know, hey, nobody bats a thousand, and every now and then I'm like, whatever, Mar. You know, and I and I move on. But no, he, but, he's, no, he, no. Let's face it, he's unbearable. But <laughs> but he's got a, look. He's got an idea, and and it's not simply preaching to the choir. Yes, you know? yes. Um, got you know, his so, last. But, but I, I mean, I, I mean, the fact is, I know I, I stopped watching the Daily Show years ago um, because I felt that to a great extent I was the choir to being being preached to, and I wasn't interested in being preached to. 
by people who, who you know, that, that, that echo chamber of nonsense really creates a problem. Um, I mean, it, it's kind of, I mean, I just posted something this morning in response to something that someone was talking about how the, how small a percentage of actual comic book fans are at comic book shows. And, and I said, basically, it's, it's because comic book conventions aren't really conventions anymore. They are the equivalent, they're the media equivalent of Mardi Gras. And someone corrected me and said it was more like, like, like South by Southwest. And they're probably right, but my references are always Mardi Gras because I don't give a fuck about South by South by Southwest. Um, <laughs> And, and that the comic book convention, the modern comic book convention, the bigger ones certainly, are, are, are populated by people who've seen it on the news and saw it on Entourage and believe that the way to go is to, be, to dress up like a fucking idiot and throw your dignity out the window and, and spend, spend three days wandering around in this thing. And, you know, and that, and that the, the, great, the real irony of all this is that you know, the, what, what, what's happened here is Kevin Feige at Marvel Comics, less so at DC, but, but, but Kevin Feige at Marvel has managed the brilliant stroke of monetizing material that is functionally invisible and intrinsically worthless based on how much it financially remunerates and turns it into a multi-billion dollar worldwide franchise for people who don't give a fuck about where it comes from. When you say they're functionally invisible, what do you mean? How many people in the real world know that comic books still exist? You and I, you and I live yeah. and work inside a bubble. True. Everybody, True. We knows, everybody we knows knows about comic books. I live in a small town, and I mean a small town, okay? Right. And anecdotally, when the first Iron Man picture was trailering in the theaters around here, um, people in the streets were going out of their fucking minds. This is great. None of them had any idea that a comic book had ever existed with this title. Any, any idea whatsoever. <laughs> Nothing. I hear you. And people don't know. I mean, most people think of comic books as something that, that, that disappeared along with the LP record around the time they stopped getting their haircuts at barbershops. Yeah, I hear you. And, and I love taking uh, people that aren't into comics into a comic book store today and handing them, you know, today's versions of Dave McKean and some other really great graphic people, and their minds are blown, and they're like, oh, God, this is comics today? And and they are really impressed by that. No, they're, they're only pretending to be interested for 20 minutes, trust me. Well, and, I, and no, you're right about that. And I guess, you know, again, I, I work in broadcasting uh, and in Chicago, so I have to say, though, with the movies and also the television shows... Uh, all of a sudden, the water cooler people are coming up to me and saying, yeah, you know about the Flash. Tell me about this. What the hell, man? This is, you know, tell me more about the reverse Flash. What's the deal with that guy? So, Really? I, yeah. They're, now, they're not buying the comics. I, 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 they're, they're pulling your chain. Hey, bud. I, <laughs> and it's, it's all anecdotal. It's all anecdotal. But, yeah, man, I, I, all I can say is you're right. Most of them don't want to buy the comics. You know, ninety percent of them. Some of them are lapsed readers, and you know, I have come back digitally and stuff like that. They won't walk into a store, but it's interesting to watch. Truly, I mean, that's kind of what I've been enjoying with Word Balloon. You know, doing it twelve years, starting okay. around the time of uh, when uh, Sin City and and things like that. The first, you know, decent pre Iron Man movies were starting to come out. You know, I like the first movie. I and actually, I didn't mind the second movie. I mean, it. You know, it it was interesting. They all blur together for me. I don't really, I, don't, I mean, ultimately, I don't give a shit about any of this stuff. You know, I mean, this, this is material that I, I look at almost exclusively from the perspective of a captive and passive audience. Um, I mean, the fact is, um, <laughs> my two favorite comic book movies are Mystery Men and sure. The Fifth Element. You know, sure. uh, um, because they, I mean, The Fifth Element is the archetypal French-Belgian comic books put on screen. No question. And Mystery Men, Mystery Men really catches the, the comic lunacy of comic books that I grew up with. I hear okay. you, man. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, I've seen Black Panther, and I thought back Black Panther was just another sturdy superhero movie like Wonder Woman that, that was, you know, and I can certainly understand the, the, the cultural hype, but as a movie, it was just, it was fine. It was just, you know, just basically another superhero movie that just happened to be populated by, 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 by black culture, which was great. But as a movie, it's just sturdy. You know, that's really what it's all about. All the, all the nonsense about why Wonder Woman wasn't nominated for an Academy Award, because it's a fucking superhero movie. It's not about anything <laughs> that, that, that transcends its, its, its intrinsic value. Don't you? you know? Well, do you think this... And I, look, I have no problem with this. But let's not get carried away with, with thinking our stuff is, is, is anything more than, than simply frivolous and pointless entertainment. Well, as, a, as the guy with rose-colored glasses, what I would say, um, don't you think there's hope, like there was for the Western, that started very basic, like the super movies, superhero movies have started basic. But then, you know, by, by the, you know, Bud Bittaker kind of, uh, am I saying his name right? Uh, you know, yeah, era? Yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, no, they, I, I mean, got complex, interesting stories and interesting characters, and that's possible. This is a discussion I have. A discussion I have with my wife all the time. My wife's go-to for for mindless stuff is bodice rippers. Okay. Okay. Sure. Or, otherwise known, otherwise known in my house as girly porn. Yeah, romance okay. novels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And I, I am of the mind, and there are those who disagree with me, that romance fiction, in, in terms of the genre fictions that exist in, in a paperback and, and publishing universe is the one form in which there has never been a transcendent author in the way that uh, arguably Louis L'Amour was a transcendent Western writer, although I think that he's actually Elmer Leonard, but that's just me, um, and that Elmer Leonard in turn also was the transcendent breakout of the crime fiction, mm-hmm. that Alan first steps on the shoulders of, 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 of Graham Greene and, and Eric Gambler and yep. transcends, you know, this kind of stuff. Yep. And I think that, that the superhero film... You know, I mean, well, in terms of comic books, um, I think we, we transcended years ago, but then that was the ECs. And I think that to a certain extent, much of the stuff that Fantagraphics has done, but, but for the most part, I just don't think that, that comic books are, you know, as long as they remain superhero based, are going to do anything interesting other than beyond what, what Alan and Dave did with Watchmen, which is a comic book about comic books to a great extent. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I think we discussed this to a great length that, that Watchmen is a book that should have literally driven a stake through the heart of superhero comics because it points up the, the utter ludicrousness and, and mendaciousness of the material. <laughs> and yet instead, it creates an entire vocabulary for a slew of lesser luminaries to build careers out of. I hear you. I, now, very quickly with Bodice Rippers, what, wouldn't you say? And, and for, I've never read Gone with the Wind, of course, but I've certainly seen the... I, 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 I mean, I, I actually tried to watch the movie and I couldn't watch it. I thought really? It was, Kill me now. Oh, oh really? I couldn't bear it. I thought oh. it was awful. Oh, man. And, I, and, I, and, I had, and as a kid, I had serious wood for Vivian Lee, man. I just, sure. you know, when I, when I saw her as, as Blanche Dubois and, and you know, I, I, and a, I, mean, I saw a, a digitally, you know, improved print of, of, uh, of, um, of, of what you call, oh, my God, a streetcar named Desire. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, fuck Stella, I want Blanche. You know, I was like, yeah, please. <laughs> um, but no, I, I could not warm to it at all, you know. Interesting. That's, uh, that's it. I, I mean, I, I'm that guy who, who never quite got Clark Gable. Okay. I mean, I, I'm, I'm a long time. I've been watching, you know, old films, you know, since I was young. Oh, you sure, know? man. <laughs> and Gable is one of those guys who skipped me. I don't get it. Of all the MGM guys, Gable was a guy that just said, no, there's no impact there for me at all. That's interesting. Gable, for me, impacted me in the same way that June Allison impacted him, which is to say nothing. 
Although I have more respect for June Allison when I found out how much of a minx she was, and she and Dean, how, how, how she was fucking Dean Martin behind exactly. Dick Powell's back. Yes, man, that I love that. And and that Hedda Hopper, or, or I think it was Hedda Hopper, was like, "Hey, cut it out, or I'm going to start writing about this shit. You guys are way too public with this shit." I That's love amazing. that. Oh, I, I see. But yeah, I mean, I mean, for me, you know, Jimmy Stewart, Henry Fonda, um, uh, William Powell. Sure. You know, you look at those guys. And, and it was mostly the Warners guys, but you know, but so so Gone with the Wind has no impact. We, we dig- when, when have we never digressed? But I like that. <laughs> the most digressive of men speaking to one of the most digressive of men. It's us. You know? This is why I look forward to our conversations, Howard. Exactly, man. But uh, again, rough and ready. If you like, if you like the last ten minutes of what we were talking about, you're going to love rough and ready. Uh, and it's okay to wait, uh, you know, well, I'll say it's okay to wait for the trade. Obviously, it hurts Howard's paycheck, but, you know. Uh, the, well, I mean, the, the, the last issue was long out, and the trade is in process right now. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, we'll, with luck, uh, people will discover it then. You know, and, and again, Matt is one of the great reasons to like, take a look at this book. He's, he just does extraordinary work. It's just, it's staggeringly good. I completely agree, and it's great social commentary, again, on the media landscape. I, I think a lot of people, the, the like I, you just I, said I, about Entourage. I refer, refer to it by, by, its, by its nicknames. Funny shit. It is funny shit, absolutely, man. And yeah, I was going to say, if you, like, if you like stuff like Entourage, you'll love it. You'll, you'll get it. You'll dig it. If you, if you like it. And also, right. and also Matt, Matt does the most hostile-looking funny animals you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> they are so pissed off. I mean, it's, I mean... His version of Ruff looks like like he's just had the third col- colos- you know col- <laughs> you know col- col- colonectomy, colonectomy in, in a yeah, day. It's yeah. just like this 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 cat has been just been put through it, you know. So yeah. Wait, I'm so dead. and I'm always confused. So Ruff Ruff was the cat? Yes. Read the fucking book, ass yes, right? Ruff no, is the no, cat, man, Reddy's the dog. Well, yeah. The, okay, I guess I'm an asshole. Yeah, man. I. I... <laughs> Well, I like Reddy. Well, yes, Ruff is Ruff is the angriest cat in the world, and Reddy, oh. uh, Reddy is you know straight back from rehab, finding Jesus. I, I, I mean, I had. I mean, bear in mind, I'm just old enough to remember the show. I had forgotten that it was serialized. That I had forgotten. Okay. Um, oh, wow. So and I, I mean, I, I watched the series in its first run because I was. I was. Look, thanks to fucking Wikipedia, we can no longer ever lie about our own ages. Um, I was born in 1950. And Rough and, Rough and Ready debuted on on on, uh, on on ABC NBC rather in in nineteen in this fall of nineteen fifty seven just before I turned seven. Okay. So I watched the show, and um, you know, I mean, I look, I was a big Crusader Rabbit and Rags fan, so I sure. thought this was just you know sort of in the same universe. Yes. It wasn't until of course Jay, Jay Ward comes along and does does right by Brocky and Bullwinkle that uh, that things begin to really straighten out for me. You know, I didn't know. I was a big, I, I was a big Rocky and Bullwinkle fan. Oh, you know? me too, I mean, man. Please. Absolutely. I mean, and you, I can't imagine this new one is going to make any sense. Oh, I didn't know they're doing it again. Oh man. Oh god, yes. Oh, although in a weird way that Dave Thomas and uh, oh god, and I can't think of her name now. Classic Sally Kellerman. Sorry, Sally it was Kel- Sally Kellerman. Yeah, their Boris and Natasha was weirdly interesting. <laughs> Only to you. <laughs> Well, there you Only go. Here. Well, let okay. me ask about uh, you know divided states of hysteria, and well, you know, Howard did like at least the the Chaikin fans. Obviously, I'm one of them. You know, we we understood where you were coming from, and we were on another Howard Chaikin ride. And it's like, yeah, this is this is. I don't like it when people get um, admonished for their for what they're known for. It was like when uh, Milo Manera uh, did those uh, X Men covers, and everyone's yelling, and it's like. 
it's Milo Manera. What the hell do you think you were going to get? Well, I think what you're dealing with is a profoundly ignorant audience that, that thinks it's entitled to have its feelings maintained. Mm-hmm. And also, um, there's a, there is a coterie of outrage in the world today that, that seeks desperately to have its feelings hurt so that it can feel better about itself. And, of course, there's a performative morality league, you know, who feel the need to, to embrace with this. I mean, I'm less, I'm less concerned with, with those marginal types out there on the Internet who, who feel that, it is, that, that, a, that what they perceive as a white, heterosexual, cisgendered male uh, is not entitled to tell stories about anything other than white, cisgendered, and heterosexual males Agreed. than I am with my colleagues who threw me under the bus and joined them. Those people are dead to me. I'm waiting for one of those motherfuckers to come up to me and do a no hard feelings at a, at a, at a social gathering. I'll show you what fucking hard feelings look like. I understand, man. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, too, because I agree. I think I, this is where my First Amendment, you know, Gene kicks into gear. And it's like, hey, man, don't tell people what they can and can't do. It's cool. How dare you use the phrase, I'm all for artistic expression, but, without even acknowledging the fact that that but obviates the, 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 the words that, that started it preceded it. Yeah, yeah. No, I understand, man. And, I and, fur- and furthermore, how dare you be proud of, of, of objecting to a product of which you have not t- t- taken, taken enough time and energy to investigate. Right. To draw conclusions based on your own prejudices, you know. Yeah, I mean, the great irony today, the, the great irony here is the, the identitarians both want a seat at the table to be identified as the norm and yet to be identified at simultaneously as special and outside the norm. You cannot have it both ways. It's but they seem to want it that way. Yeah, it's a weird time, man. No, I understand. Uh, it's, it's fucked. And, you, and those of you who are younger than me, welcome to the fucking world I'm leaving behind. <laughs> I wonder if, well, I know they did. Shame on me. See, again, Howard, I, I, uh, not to name drop, I just talked to six months ago Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Mm-hmm. Who I met very briefly after a Nerdisport pod, podcast. Adam Beecham, Beecham introduced us. That's fantastic. I, oh, you know, by the way, excellent interview with Adam on the Nerdist mm-hmm. podcast. That was fantastic. Um, well, but again, I appreciate people that were older than me in the 60s. I mean, I was born in 64. So, you know, I was around, but obviously you guys were much more clear-eyed about what was going on. And I really am interested in hearing the culture clash of today compared to what it was at the height of the 60s and early 70s and that whole, you know, period that, you know, I guess culminated with Watergate and the hangover after Watergate and everything. Again, I was a little kid, but I do find it interesting, and it it seems like it's that kind of anger, and but but in a different way. And at first I was going to say, I wonder how the World War II people felt about the 60s. It's like, well, no, that's pretty well documented, actually. So- well, you look at it this way. I mean, every, I mean, my, I mean I, if you were born in 64, I was 13 when you were born. Okay? Yeah, yeah. And every 13, 14, 15-year-old guy has the experience of being told by someone older than they are that they know exactly what they're going through, which is complete bullshit, and we always knew it. <laughs> and because every generation's experience as, a, as, a, as an adolescent and a kid are different from those preceding it. They're sure. just different. Yeah. Okay. And what, what, what we've got now is that a generation, 40 and under, who are so utterly ahistorical, B, ahistorical and utterly un, uninformed of anything that happened before their birth, and, 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 and exacerbated by an incuriosity about that history, who presumed that, my, that when I was 13, 14, and 15, I was exactly like they were. And my life at 13, 14, 15, 16 was entirely different from that, of an, that experience taking place today. Yeah. The, the, the arrogance of, 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 of contemporary chauvinism is staggering to me. The assumption that we are, 
We, we have reached this Panglossian level of the best of all possible worlds. Please, deliver me. Come on. <laughs> honest to God. I hear you, man. Oh, and, and, and that's a reference to Voltaire by Candide, who you won't like very much either. Trust me. <laughs> okay? Look up Kunigunda. You'll see what I'm talking about. Well, and again, I, I kind of agree with you when it comes to the, A, not knowing history, and B, like you said, they don't care. They're not interested in learning. But you've also got a slew of talent, for example, who are terrified to have their, 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 their influences and reference points identified. Um, that, as if they, 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 were, they were born from the, they, were, they burst from the brow of Zeus. Yep. You know, I mean, we all stand on the shoulders of giants. We learned everything we do from, from previous, those who preceded us. Sure. And it doesn't shame us to acknowledge those who came before us as, as, the, as the, the history that served our lives, that made our lives. Okay. And, um, and I think it, it insults the, the craft and the past to presume we have invented shit. Like Carl Sagan said, if you're going to make an apple pie from scratch, first you have to invent the universe. <laughs> well, you know, uh, from a movie standpoint, I kind of think Tarantino started that, where he's pretty selective on his influences and won't, you know... But he acknowledges them. Doesn't, doesn't he acknowledge his influences? I'm going to have to listen to commentaries again. I don't know, man, because... I think he does. I, I don't, in a by the way, sense. I, I never. I watch movies in the movie theater. I never watch movies on television. Sure. So I've never seen any. Of the, and I mean, I, I own the only DVDs I've ever seen are screeners from the Writers Guild. Sure. I've never watched movies on DVD, so I've never seen any of these commentaries. I don't give a shit what these people have to say. I really don't. You know, I mean, if I'm part of the masturbate, I'll do it alone. You know? <laughs> You know, I mean, the purpose of my show is to kind of provide that kind of commentary and everything. If uh, you I are guess, listening and you're masturbating, I, but, put your pants up. Yeah, please, stop. Is that true, you think? Really? <laughs> well, I, I want to know what's in everybody's minds when they're making this stuff. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, like I said, what's in, what's in your minds as you guys are, and women are making this stuff? I don't know. Back to divided states. Do the current events. I mean, I, I love, and it's really, I've been very lucky in terms of who I've been talking to lately because I would say Gabe Hardman and Karina Becko with uh, Invisible Republic from Image, I think uh, today's politics have made it that much more interesting. Paul Cornell is doing this thing called Saucer State, where uh, aliens are infiltrating the U.S. government, and Vladimir Putin shows up, you know, with good timing, well before uh, the Trump presidency kicked in and stuff. And I would say that, obviously, what's been going on in the current events and everything make uh, divided states that much more prescient. And I'm guessing when you were writing in uh, that, you know, you were thinking that we were going to probably have a Clinton presidency or something. Maybe I'm wrong. But, 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 yes, but with armed insurrection in the streets. You know, I, I, I understood exactly where Comey was coming from when he talked about the inevitability of the, of the, of the, the Clinton presidency. Um, on the other hand, I will say that on Election Day, uh, when I voted, I was, the first vo- I was the first to vote in my polling station. And my wife and I spent the day... We went out, we hung together, we went to lunch, and there was a, an odd quietude in the city. So when the, when the results started coming in, I started switching channels, hoping to find a different result. Um, I was shocked, but not surprised. I hear you, man. Um, my, my town went for Trump. Interesting. I was, I was about to I, say... I, I, I live, in a, I live in, a, in a small community in which the, the social dynamic boils down to right-wing evangelical Christian stoner surfers. Well, that's why I figured there were maybe more stoner surfers than the Christians. But a lot right. of stoner surfers voted for Trump, babe. Really? Sure. From that uh, libertarian sort of way? No, from that, I don't want a fucking black guy again way sort of way. And, and fuck wow. shit, you know, fuck you. Yeah. Know. 
Yeah. Come on. I mean, this is this is a racist country. I didn't think those so. who, those who deny right. those who deny their racism don't understand what racism is. We live in a tribal culture. It's always been a tribal culture. Um, and what and what 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 this administration has done it is it is removed the governor of public behavior from from culture and society, allowing people to express their genuine feelings in ways that they felt constrained by by simple good good manners before. Yes. Yes. And this this and of course the 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 the, the internet has provided the most profound and perfect venue for this expression of feelings. I hear you, man. I, uh, I was talking to Ryan Brown, another creator, and we were talking about uh, not only, you know, the lack of understanding of social media that uh, the Congress had as they were talking to Zuckerberg. Unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, just, just, it was, it was fantastic. <laughs> it was like, I mean, it was, I mean, years ago, uh, one of my colleagues on television had a da- has a daughter who's now in her mid-20s, who at nine, he was, he took it, they were at a garage sale, and there was a rotary phone sitting there, and she kept stabbing the holes, you know, <laughs> why isn't this working? And, it, and, and, the, dis, and, and the, the dissociation expressed by, by those members of Congress with, with Zuckerberg was comparable to that. Sure. You know? Yes. Um, it's, you know, <laughs> a bunch of fucking old farts who had no clue what they were talking about. No, no. Give the man a free pass because he's talking with circles around you and, and circles you'll never even know exist. Embarrassing, man. I, you can't find one aide to write a paper and be like, "Hey, before you talk to this guy, here's what's going on, man." I, I it is. It is an expression of contempt, which brings us right back to Will Eisner. I mean, you know, it's a, it's the same sort of condescension that presumes stupidity on the side on the other side of the conversation. Crazy, man. You know, um, and I'm and I'm afflicted with the exact opposite. I mean, I I come out of how dare you lie to me. And how and why would you bother to lie to me? A combination of utter and complete narcissistic arrogance and complete and total debilitating humility. And, it, and I and I function in both in both worlds completely. Well, we have the no best, choice. One of the best things I've ever read about myself on the internet when I was still doing that sort of thing, as opposed to now, was someone wrote an extended exegesis about the first volume of Times Squared. And the title was the, the, the Howard Chaykin overestimates his audience one more time. <laughs> and it's true. You know, um, I, I've, always, I've always made the assumption, clearly constantly mistaken, that my audience shares my sensibilities. And, you know, I was, I was recently approached, although nothing came of it, but appearing in a, in a documentary about Frank Miller's work, okay? Okay. or Frank Miller, whatever. Mm-hmm. I, I haven't seen or spoken to Frank in 26 years. And, you know, we live in different places and we have no, nothing to say to each other. And the work doesn't interest me at all. What fascinates me is the absolutely breathtaking and brilliant, and I don't even think canny, I think it was utterly instinctual, shared grasp of the zeitgeist. This guy got the zeitgeist, whether he knew it or not. And that, that, that profound shared zeitgeist with the audience is the, the keystone, the rock on which that church is built. And I have nothing to do with the zeitgeist of the comic book readers. <laughs> nothing. <laughs> I can't convince them the day is day. You know. Are you saying specifically for Dark Knight Returns? No, no, no. Just generally, I think I think he is he is exactly the comic book talent that the comic book audience fan would be given the opportunity. Interesting. I go back and forth with Frank stuff, and I, I 
It's kind of like Woody Allen. We liked your earlier funnier movies <laughs> and start his memories <laughs> when, they, when they make that unfortunate comment. So, uh, I guess. You know, yeah, well, and again, that dude, I'm telling you, now we know things about the personal lives of these people. And, you know, what do you, what do, you do with that? How do you unpack that and everything, man? Because, you know, the work is still great. We, but we, no, no, no. I mean, let, let, let's back up from that sentence and say what we suspect about that personal life. We don't know for a Indeed. You know, we, we, we tend to immediately assume. You're you right. Know, I remember again, the, that's, the, yeah, that's the problem with the I mean, media. The, the, the major news story going on when I moved to California was McMartin's preschool case. Remind me, what was the... Do you remember, do you remember the McMartin preschool case? No, I don't. Please. All right. There was a preschool which was accused of conducting satanic, satanic rituals oh, with, with brutally killing turtles and rabbits to, thre- to threaten children with. Oh, my God. And it turned out to be completely fabricated. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Not by the children, but by psychiatrists who were manipulating the children to, to, to articulate ideas that were planted in the heads of the children. Yeesh. So I am skeptical of everything. I hear you. Yeah, I you know, uh, <laughs> I don't, you know, I don't know. What do you do? It's so weird. And you're right. Some and people are kind of ostracized while the accusation is out there before the facts are right. finally in. Yeah. And we're and we're also dealing with a culture right now, which, you know, I mean, revenge porn has led us to where we are today. I think that the Me Too movement is the is the and and again, I don't think it was an intentional adjustment. But it was, it was finally realized that with me, the Me Too movement could functionally combat revenge porn on its own terms, which I think is an absolutely, you know, what, again, whether instinctual or aware, a brilliant, a brilliant counterattack. You know, I, I believe there is an enormous justification for what's going on culturally right now. I have no, no, no truck with this shit at all, okay? But I also recognize the fact that the complexity of, of, of our relationships is going to get deeper and darker as, as things go on. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm yeah. lost. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm, I am so grateful to be unavailable to that because I'm, I'm fucking old. Well, okay. But I, and now I wanted to ask, um, have you done conventions since? And have you been accosted at all regarding no, this stuff? They're cowards. They, they, they hide behind, behind the barricade of a, of a keyboard. They, these, are not, these are not people with anything resembling courage. Regarding divided states of hysteria, have you done panels? And have anyone, has anyone stood up and said, hey, you know, I didn't... No, of you. course not. Of course not. Okay. My, I mean, and I keep waiting. Well, yeah, because it's... I, re- I really do. I understand. You know, would you not, welcome? Would you welcome that kind of dialogue on a panel or something like that, or a chance? Not I mean, really, because I don't feel the need to defend myself against the attack of someone for whom I have contempt. I understand. I, I mean, I the fact is, I don't feel the need to explain myself or justify. You know, the the idea that the, that there are those in this culture who believe that they are entitled not to have their feelings hurt, that they are not, they are not, they are not, they are entitled not to be challenged, that life is not a series of risks. Please. Yeah, and as I say, the only thing that is that, that is that the, the only positive of all this is that although all the attacks on the book have come from the left, the right is so utterly reprehensible that I could never be pushed into it. Oh, of course not. Yeah, man. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, don't uh, don't don't David Horowitz on me, please. Look, man, I got, I got accused of being a Nazi by stuff. By, by after after characterizing the guys who bought March on on Charlottesville. As Nazis, I was accused of being a Nazi myself by someone who supported that side of the room. 
I mean, fuck these people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I hear you, man. No, and uh, and look, I'm glad you're still making the comics that you make. You know, comics are outlaw. Uh, well, here's a Frank Miller quote that I'll side with: that comics is an outlaw medium, and I think it should be provocative. And yeah, we don't need every white hat and black hat. Like I said. Bug Bittaker, Shades of Grey, man. And I, and I think it, they only make for more complex and interesting stories. And, uh, yeah, there are reprehensible people, and you can tell stories about reprehensible people. And, but I, and, and I, I, think most comic book, I think most comic books are Poirot anodyne bullshit. <laughs> Agreed. So, <laughs> but I, I'll admit, man, hey, I like, you know, I always call it uh, the meat and potatoes of Superman crashes through the wall, he stands there for a second, the, uh, the gangster's bounce their bullets off him, they he clunks their heads, and he sends them away. Great, I'll be back next month for the same thing, please. I, I got no yeah. problem with that. Unlike my, those, those colleagues of mine who prefer that I didn't exist, I don't mind their existing. I don't mind that sort of thing existing. I agree. But I'm, I'm the guy who spent most of the 70s assuming that sooner or later there would be a, an, a version of what Harvey Kurtzman did at DC Comics evolving out of comics, and it never happened. Yeah. You know, it never happened. Yeah, I know. Um, and that, that has been the great disappointment. And that leads me to Hey Kids Comics. Yes, you know? indeed. I, thank you, because I did want to obviously spend time talking. I'm here, I'm here for your segue. It's okay. I'm here for you. <laughs> so go for it. Tell me about this. Well, Hey Kids Comics is something I've been thinking about for many, many years. Um, and, and, I, and I emphasize it is fiction. It is fiction. I mean, I had a conversation with one of my colleagues a couple of days ago who suggested a guessing game, and I said, no fucking way. <laughs> Because it's not, it's, I mean, it is, because I have, I have combined, I have conflated. It is anecdotal, I should explain. It's structurally different than anything I've ever done. Uh, it does not have a, an overarching arc of, of, uh, of dramatic narrative that, that comes to a, to a crescendo. Okay. Um, it's funny. It's dark. A lot of what is in the book happened and is true, but didn't happen to the personalities that I've created for it. And it exists in an entirely trans, as, as, as alternate a universe as uh, the 87 Precinct novels by Ed McBain, which okay. takes place in a city called Isola, which doesn't really exist, but, it was, but it's actually simply New York and the boroughs turned on its side. Yep. Okay. Big fan. Yep. And um, that's, that's the world. It follows the adventures and experiences of three principal characters and a, a number of supporting characters who appear and reappear. And it covers some nearly 60 years of history. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Is, um... The first arc. I mean, the second, the second arc will be, if, if there is a second arc, assuming we can actually sell enough books to justify a second arc, um, will take a different dramatic structure and focus and probably conceivably be a bit shorter, but more focused on a specific, di- a specific era. Okay. Uh, this deals with with a well. It's sixty years. It's, it's it covers a lot of ground. Yeah. So I'm assuming thirties to the nineties, obviously, or somewhere somewhere. No, forties no? to the forties to the early aughts. Okay. Okay. Interesting. I uh, so when you say you know it's uh, overarching narrative, will they be vignettes then, or um, narratively? The first and the the issues break into six issue chunks, mm-hmm. six page chunks rather. Oh, okay. Uh, 19, 1945, 1955, 1965, two thousand one. Got it. And there is there there are in, internal arcs to the books. Um, each each six page chunk 
will be a narrative event that took place in that era. Um, and um, I hope, hopefully it will illuminate. I mean, at its, at its coarsest in description, it's Mad Men in the comic book business. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, I mean, in, if you know anything about the history of advertising, the character of Don Draper is, a, is an avatar of Jerry Delafamina. The guy who, uh, who, who wrote his autobiography was called From the People Who Brought You Pearl Harbor when he was doing the first promotion for Toyotas in the state. I'm going to have to look up that. All right. And, cool. <laughs> and, and, Pe- and Peggy is Mary Wells, um, who is the woman who made her bones with the original Volkswagen campaign back when it was a picture of the Beatles sitting on a white sheet. Wow. Yes, of course. Yes. Which, uh, which I was reminded of a couple of weeks back after Chappaquiddick came out when somebody published the posted the, the, the Great Lampoon parody of the ad of a, of a Beatle, of a Volkswagen Beetle floating in the water, which is the head, headline reading, if Ted Kennedy had been driving a Volkswagen, he'd be president today. <laughs> um, so yeah. th- that, that's who those characters are based on. And, you know, and, and to a certain extent, Burt Cooper is, is, is Bruce Barton, and Roger Sterling is David Ogilvy. Um, but they're but they're very broad strokes, and that's that's the same here. I mean, my my three principles are based very loosely on three actual personalities. Actually, in in, in th- all three cases, a, a blend of th- of several personalities. Sure. And um, and I'm really happy with it. I'm really proud of it. We've got two two issues that are in the can, cool. black and white. Um, we're we're into issue three right now. All, everything's written. I only write I write everything before I start drawing. And uh, the first issue is is lettered and colored. And it's looking, I'm really happy. I mean, my, my team is doing exemplary stuff, making me look good, which is very, for which I'm deeply grateful. And, um, and I'm having a good time. That's awesome, man. And, and, then, and, then coming, and then coming up right after that, before the, the other thing we discussed when we were off mic, um, is the third and final volume of Times Squared. Fantastic. Hey, that's great. No man. shit, right? Hey, yeah, man. That's excellent. Um, it's um, it, it is it's got closure. It ends the trilogy, and um, it's my fiction. The from from a, from a structural perspective, I'm going to say something right now that's going to go right over your audience's head because nobody has any idea what I'm talking about. Um, it's it's my fictional version of Robert Moses against my fictional version of Jane Jacobs. Robert Moses, the uh, New York, the guy who fucked up New York. Yeah, he, I forget his title. I'm sure you know it. Asshole. <laughs> Urban, urban planner. Yes, urban planner who uh, nixed uh, the uh, new Ebbets Field, and uh, although right. I'm sure O'Malley was already going to, you know, LA anyway. But also was was thwarted by Jane Jacobs in his attempt to create a, a, a freeway, an expressway that would cut directly across Greenwich Village, destroying the neighborhood. Interesting. When you see the movie version of West Side Story, yeah, those streets, those empty streets, are where Lincoln Center is now. Oh wow! Okay, he basically decided that 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 what, what he what, what he identified as a slum was a slum, and he manifest destiny those people out of those buildings, tore them down, and built Lincoln Center where they where they stood. Wow, Jesus! Man. So this guy this guy was what what my my, my Jewish family referred to as a Galiziana rat fuck. <laughs> Robert Caro, the historian. Uh, I know. Uh, I think wrote a Robert Moses. Yeah. Oh yes, yes, the master yeah. builder. Yeah. And uh, I've heard him talk about that in, uh, you know, different uh, kind of book presentations that you see on book TV on C- C-SPAN 2 over the weekend and stuff. 
Uh, he was he was he was the kind of I mean I, I come from deeply Russian Jew stock. Okay. Okay. Which is to say Leechbox and peasants. You know. Um, we were a lot closer to the Romani who got swept up by the Holocaust than those entitled German Jews who, did, who didn't know they had it coming in Germany. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And my, I grew up with a grandmother who was deeply, deeply Eastern, who, when I was a child at four, she performed a very threatening ritual on me, which culminated in a Pavlovian recollection of that when I went out into the world, the only thing in the world to fear and hate more than a German was a German Jew. My, gra- my grandmother was nuts. I mean, yeah, I should explain. Yeah. I, I, I come from a family with, me- with mental illness with a, with a badge of pride. And, um, but that was some crazy shit. But that was, the, that was you know, I'm four years old. I go, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm 67 years old right now, and I can still recall the moment. I see it. I, I have like a, oh, God, please, grandma, don't hit me again. You know. Thanks, man. Yeesh. So, well, you know, crazy shit. You know, you were born in four, by, by the time you were 64, born. yeah. Parent, you know, parents were perhaps somewhat kinder. You know? Yeah, I literally I can count on my hand the the times my father raised his hand to me. Oh, I and and yeah, my, my brother was fool enough to think that he could hide in the closet from my mother as she chased us around the house with two wooden hangers. Yeah, non hip. Yeah, one for me, one for him. I understand, man. Now my older cousins, yeah, the similar story. So I I do understand the uh, and again. Say that to a kid now, and that would blow their mind. Your parents raised their hand to you, and you didn't call social and, services? And, and if you ever raised your hand to them, forget about it. Yeah. That pillow over your face in the middle of the night was the best you could hope for. Thanks, man. Yeesh. Well, back to, hey, hey, back look, to I, hey look, Kids Comics. Look, I, mean, I mean, the fact is, you know, the, the, all these posts on Facebook about Mother's Day coming up. I mean, Mother's Day is the day that I get up in the morning and give thanks to being the happiest orphan in the world. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Yay, they're dead. Yay, good. Next, next. Jesus, man. I've never, that's really sad, sad, man, because I know your mother being musical and everything kind of led you to jazz and. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But, but she was a horrible woman. I mean, there was no wow. question about it. Yeah, I understand. Just a low, a, a, an awful person. Wow. You know? Okay. I mean, she died, let, never told me I was illegitimate. I mean, she led me to believe that the guy I thought was my father was my father. Wow. Woof. You know, her shame was more important than my, than my, than my truth. I understand. Well, like I, well, back to Hey Kids Comics. Now are you? <laughs> yeah. Hey, look, what did I say about digression? Right. You know. Come on. Exactly. I, I mean, a lot of the, a lot of the stuff of the material derives from anecdotes that I heard for years from all the guys who were my rabbis. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Everybody, everybody from Gil to to, Walt, to Woody to Orlando to Dick Giordano, Gray Morrow to all these cats. Dick, you know, Jack Abel, you know, all these people who. You know, I mean, my, my first working experience in the studio after I worked for, went to work for Gil was I, was I was ghosting for Woody. And I was sharing a studio space with Jack Abel and Sid Shores. And with a very short, short time, it became clear to Jack that I could be his henchman in his making fun of Sid Shores. You know? <laughs> Seriously. I was like, I believe again, you never get out of high school. It was just like, I mean, Jack was considerably younger than I am now. You know, and, and not much of a talent, but hysterically funny. And he recognized in me a kindred spirit and someone he could drag into the gutter to fuck with Sid. And that's what all we did. We literally fucked with Sid every day. <laughs> Jesus, man. That's awesome. No, I'm really excited to see this. I, uh, I uh, really, you know, and now he's, and here's another man that's now sadly jaded. Uh, Gerard Jones, his Men of Tomorrow was an excellent book. I, I mm-hmm. thought it was a great history of, of comics and everything. So anything. It's one, it's one of the three books that every enthusiast should have and own. Yeah. 
Yeah, agreed. The other one, you know, you know, The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier on Clay and Tom DeHaven's It's Superman. I agree with all three of those. And I also, in uh, regards to Superman's 80th, uh, saw you and Paul Kupperberg both, uh, you know, acknowledge Tom DeHaven's great book. Uh, you know, uh, it, yeah, it's fantastic, man. It really, and I, and it really is like. And literally crying over Pennsylvania. How sad is that? <laughs> Weeping piteously. My wife looking at me with utter contempt. You know, it was fantastic. <laughs> Why are you crying in public? The lights are up. <laughs> Jesus. Now, and again, Cavalier and Clay, of course, Michael Schumann. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yes, indeed. Well, that's the thing. Well, that's the, this sounds like it's, it's in that vein. And also, man, I, I want, and I know that you're, you know, kind of using composites to tell the story of comics, but I really get tired of some of the podcasters out there who really do think it was like a bunch of little elves. Hi-ho, hi-ho, it's off to work we go. To oh, make, yeah. Make oh, yeah. In the 40s. Exactly, man. And you, so we want the real stories and stuff. And I, it bums me out that um, I wasn't doing Word Balloon maybe 10 years earlier to sit down with Qbert and Erwin Hasten and uh, some of these other guys and women, you know, that uh, Ramona Fraden. I mean, I know Ramona's still out there and everything, but, you know. But she pretends she's playing dead. It's, it's really mad. <laughs> I just, sorry, Ramona, don't yell at me. Yeah, Ramona's no, listening to every, every episode of Word Balloon. There's no question. She's hanging on your every word there, John. <laughs> You bastard! But to get the real story, man, because that's the thing. Like, oh, these men, you know, these wonderful men and women, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, well, you know, I, I think bullshit thing. The dreamer really postulated this shit too. You Tom, know, yes, and that was Eisner's, that was just nonsense. Yes, Eisner's, and I. It was just fucking that. nonsense. Interesting, you know. Okay. Yeah, I'm dream. I'm dreaming. I can get everybody else to do my work for me. Shut up. <laughs> Blasphemer. <laughs> that's me. That's me. Actually, that, that sounds like a great name for a parody of, of Buck Rogers. Blasphemer! I like it. <laughs> you know? and, and, it and his amazing colossal jaw, you know? <laughs> Jesus, man. That's awesome. Well, I guess, actually, I haven't had a chance to read it yet. Have you read um, John Cullen Murphy's son's... Uh, I guess yes. it's Cullen Murphy. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Oh, okay, I haven't gotten to it yet. And I re- oh, it's great. It really is. But, I mean... I mean, I, I, I like the book a lot. I mean, I read the excerpt in Vanity Fair. That's but I've, what I've, I been following, you know, I've been following Colin Murphy's career since he was at Harper's or Atlantic. I forget which. Yeah, yeah. You know, so and he's a perfect fit for that. It was a great memoir. I really did. You know? That's awesome. Yeah, I really, I, uh, I, I want to get him on. And, uh, you know, time, suddenly it's four months later. And I'm a huge fan. He, he, he'd, be, he'd be a great guest. Oh, my God, yes. Yeah, he's. Is he still writing the strip? Is he still writing uh, Prince Valiant? No, I think, well, I know Tom Yates is. I want to say drawing it. Isn't Gary Gianni doing it? No, Gary's not doing it anymore. Gary lives in Chicago, and I see Gary all the time. And okay. I, yeah. What's he doing? Um, mostly illustrating you know, novels and stuff. He did a, he did right. a Hellboy with uh, Mignola that came right. out last year, and, and I talked to him about that. But yeah, I just saw him at C2E2. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Where I'm never invited because they don't know I live. <laughs> what the fuck, man? No, the Reed guys have no idea I exist. Yeah, there's just... Uh, I'm That's sorry true. to hear that, man. No, I understand. Uh, well, I, I look, I mean, I, it's, it's one of the downsides of being a cult figure. <laughs> you know, being, being the Randy Newman of comics has its upsides and downsides. You know? I like that. Absolutely, you're the Randy Newman true. of comics. That's it. You know, no, I, am the, I am the Randy Newman of comics. I think you know? you're right, man. That's hilarious. Jesus. So. Well, I'm psyched for uh, Hey Kids Comics. When does it start? Uh, we drop in August. The the preview we we just I just submitted the solicitations for all the first five issues into to previews. It's all in. 
the first two covers. I mean, everything's you know we're we're in delivery. Have you seen? Did, did you see the see the the ad on that I ran on Facebook? Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, you if you're interested, I'll I'll slip you a preview of a PDF when I when I get a chance. Oh, that'd be great, man. Thank you. For your eyes only. Of course. Don't tell anybody. Yeah, exactly. No, it's very kind. I appreciate that. And so, uh, and that's the deal. All right. It, it sounds like uh, also like you make the Mad Men uh, comparison. It also kind of reminds me of what you and uh, Fraction did with uh, Satellite Sam, which I love so much. I guess, yeah, I guess to a certain extent. Um, I guess yeah. But again, that, that that was TV. This is comics, and we'll see what develops. You know, I'm I'm very I'm very curious. It's, it's like most of the people who who would actually relate to narratively are dead. <laughs> um, I'm serious. You know, I mean, yeah. like look, it, it's I mean, the, the principals are people who were born all born in 1920. Sure. You know, 20 to 25, um, and we do see some younger people in the in the end in the 2001 sequences, but. You know, it's it's more the the second arc again. Should there be a second arc, will address the generation that came. That I mean, there's there's this weird breakdown in comic books in the sense that between the guys who were born in the 20s and the guys who were born in the late 40s, early 50s, there's only a couple of guys, Neil and Jim. Yeah, yeah. You know, and you know everybody else is you know old and dead. So. Yeah. yeah. So the, the arc of this, if there's going to be a second arc, it'll be the impact of this of that middle non-existent generation on my generation. You know, um, so we'll see. Who knows? Interesting. That's cool. Right. Yeah, man. No, I'm I'm psyched for it. And Times Squared, what's the timetable on that? Or have you not started? I'm 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 half, I mean, the script is all. I I have the dialogue, the script. That's what's going on. Okay. And um, I'm I'm assuming if I have any down, I'm I'm going to New York, I'm going to the, the East Coast Comic Con yes. show on uh, on Thursday. Yes, thank you for mentioning. And that. I'm going to be in New York, I'm going to be in New York for the following week, seeing four shows in three days because I am oh, embarrassingly queeny when it comes to the theater. That's cool. And uh, if I have any downtime, I'd like to take take a get, get a get a pass going on dialogue for that. Cool. But the breakdown is done, and um, we'll see. You know, psyched man. And my editor is talking me. My editor is talking me to get to it. Get on it, director. Come on. <laughs> you know. So, there you go. I also uh, the editor. The editor I might edit. I have to hire. You know. Well, yeah. That's well. Again, when you're doing your own comics, I guess that's right. Uh, and, uh, I, and I'm a great believer in having an editor. He's really good. You want to name him or no? Well, his name is Thomas K. I won't give his last name. Okay. <laughs> um, he's a good. He's a he's a great guy. He's been editing my stuff at Image since since the inception. He's edited some of the much of Fraction stuff as well. Okay, he's really good. And funny, uh, sm- a complete smartass, and very funny. Excellent. And and by the way, I really liked uh, the uh, the essay that uh, Ken uh, Bruzenak did at the back of uh, Dysteria too, because oh, about his process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought so too. I thought he did a great job. Absolutely, man. Well, and, and I mean, uh, you know, you of the uh, great sound effects lettering and the fonts that you've used to, you know, in your Zipatone years and stuff when you when you were putting it on the panels and stuff. It's interesting to see uh, letterers with that challenge of you know balloon placement and where where everything's got to fit and not not you know overpower the art. Well, Ken Ken is you know my twin son from a different different mother and a raging pain in the ass, much like me, and. <laughs> We, we get along because we have very similar sensibilities, and, um, and he's the best there is at what he does. There's no question about it. You know? Excellent. I, I mean, it's him and everybody else, in my opinion. You, you've already dropped a good list of uh, recommended reading stuff just uh, you know, in that Dennis Miller way that you just kind of, through normal conversation, 
give us a bunch of uh, things. Is there anything else you want to add to the list of uh, things? You're- I don't know. What am I reading recently? I mean, I just got turned on to, but Jack, Jack Let's Camilla recommended the Simon Scour Roman Legion novel, which I really dig. Interesting. Um, you know, you've heard me recommend John Lawton before. I love this guy. Yes. Um, and I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, for, for shits and giggles, I'm listening to the, the Stephen Baxter sequel to The War of the Worlds called The Massacre of Mankind, which is kind of fun as an audible. Um, you know, I'm, I'm just, you know, like you know, reading, reading, you know, crime and historical stuff. That's my world. My next, once I finish, uh, re- reading the, the Simon Scowl, my next thing is going to be Philip Kerr's last novel, uh, the last of the Bernie Gunthers, because of course we lost him last month. Okay. And, uh, and, um, and then I've got the, the new, new John Sanford Prey novel. I mean, Sanford is that classic example of a writer whose work was okay when he started and he got better and better halfway through the run. It's this. The, the stuff he's done on the Lucas Prey novels in the past 15 years, since the Claire Rinker novels, are really, really good. They're funny, you know, smart stuff. That's good. You're not the first person to recommend John Sanford to me, so I'm glad to hear that. That's the weird thing is, like, the first half a dozen books are okay. They're Bs. And then he gets really, really good. You know, they're really good. That's awesome. That's fantastic. All right. Okay, John, i got to get back to work like normal people. Some of us don't have the day to piss away. I'm, I'm well aware. No, thanks for the time, dude, and uh, hopefully John, you have... thank, I'm glad we were able to make this up after you completely fucked up that philosophy <laughs> last time. And I want that on record. Absolutely. I want that on record. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> I'll talk to you in a few months. Thanks, man. Without luck, without, without, I mean, I'm, hopefully we'll see each other on, on, on campus sooner or later, okay? Absolutely, dude. Be well. Thanks, John. Talk to you soon. When I talk to Howard Shaken, I always feel like we're playing racquetball and he's just beating the shit out of me. And that's okay. I don't mind. It's a <laughs> I always get something new and interesting and provocative in my conversations with Howard Shaken. I'm always glad that he comes back. And uh, I'm telling you, Rough and Ready, the Rough and Ready show was outstanding. Look for that when it comes to trade because it's one of the best DC books that came out this year that might have flown under your radar. And you shouldn't miss it. It's an excellent look at today's uh, media world and uh, a celebrity in today's uh, social and public media world and how everything works. It's crazy and a lot of fun. Uh, Look for that. Look for Hey Kids Comics coming up later on uh, this year as well from Image. Always glad to welcome Howard Chaikin back to Word Balloon. Today's Word Balloon is brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com. Let's uh, go over some more Howard Chaikin stuff. You can get Midnight of the Soul, a great image series that Howard made. Uh, Volume 1 is 42% off, $8.69. You can get the American Flag Definitive Collection. Trade Paperback Volume 1 is 42% off, $11.59. You can also get things like Power and Glory, a very interesting genetically engineered superhero team. Crazy shit in the uh, Howard Chaikin tradition. 30% off, $13.99. Just some of the great books that you can find at InStockTrades.com with Howard Chaikin's name on it. There's a hell of a lot more. Great books at great prices. InStockTrades.com. Word Balloon is also brought to you by Comics Experience, the world's most respected online comic book university. They are about to have a master seminar with Georgia Lee, the writer on all three seasons of Sci-Fi The Expanse, she is going to be doing Georgia Lee Writing for Television. This event is online. It will be held live Saturday, May 12th. Georgia will peel back the curtain on what it's like to work in a television show writer's room based on her experience working on The Expanse. You can enroll online at comicsexperience.com. 
And uh, that's just the tip of the iceberg. There are tons of screenwriting and animation courses there on the website. Don't forget to sign up for their newsletter as well when you stop by the website. And you can follow Comics Experience on Twitter at Comic Experience. Also, uh, you can follow them on their uh, Facebook page and like that as well. Comics Experience, the world's most respected online comic book university, a master seminar with Georgia Lee from Sci-Fi's The Expanse on writing for television. You'll want to sign up for this. These are excellent live seminars where you can uh, speak to the instructors as they uh, you know, present their stuff online and get uh, immediate feedback. It's several hours. This is a great course. You'll definitely want to check it out. And also, again, check out some of the other great courses they have at comicsexperience.com. Thanks again for listening to Word Balloon. Thank you, League of Word Balloon listeners, for your support via Patreon. Uh, more great stuff coming up. Uh, April isn't over, and I'm not done yet either. There's going to be another great episode next week early on to uh, entertain you, hopefully, in the classic Word Balloon tradition. Until next time, Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions, copyright 2018.